morning and welcome to the program. Great to have you company. 131269 is our telephone number if you'd like to have your say on this Thursday. It is the 14th day of January. If you would like to send us a text message, 0458 049 209. And of course, you can always send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And follow us on social media, the hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. Plenty of news around again this morning. Give us a call. Let us know what's on your minds. Be great to hear from you. 13 12 69 being the telephone number. Now, being a Thursday, going to catch up with One Nation's Malcolm Roberts. Malcolm lost a bet to me. Yes, he was absolutely adamant that Donald Trump would be returned as the President of the United States. Anyway, Malcolm's coughing up some fine Australian wine, which, by the way, I'll be re-gifting. But that's okay. You want some wine out there, Scruff? So Malcolm Roberts on the program a little later this morning. Joel Fitzgibbon has been in the press of late saying that, well, unfortunately, Australia is becoming an unlikely place for investors. That's foreign investors. We'll find out what Joel means by that. He was on Sky yesterday talking about this. So we'll speak to the member for Hunter on the program a little later this morning. Now, speaking of the Hunter, apparently a cat cull happens around Stockton each and every year. It's something that Emma Hurst, our hashtag animal warrior, is fighting against. So we'll find out about this so-called cat cull at Stockton. Emma will be on the program a little later this morning, and we'll get her thoughts on that. Uh, What else is happening? I will try and track down the New South Wales Police Minister as well. I want to try and speak, if I can, to David Kelly this morning. Look, family and friends of Senior Constable Kelly Foster will farewell the fallen officer at a full police funeral in the Central West today. The highly regarded police officer died, as we know, while attempting to rescue a fellow canyoner from a whirlpool at Mount Wilson in the Blue Mountains. It happens on the first weekend of the year, last Saturday. Just an awful story, really is. Senior Constable Kelly Foster's loved ones will be joined by members of the police family at the funeral service at Lithgow Uniting Church from around 12.30 today. A funeral procession with marching escort will travel along Bridge Street between Mort and Short Streets at the conclusion of the church service. And they reckon there'll be a significant gathering to bid uh, Senior Constable Kelly Foster farewell. And of course, due to the current COVID restrictions, not everyone who would like to pay their respects in person will be able to do so. Now, members of the public are urged not to attend the church. Instead, they may view the procession as it leaves the church. And of course, the community should be socially distanced in uh, line along either side of Bridge Street between Morton Short Streets from 1.30 today. So there we go. A sad day for New South Wales Police as they farewell one of their own, Senior Constable Kelly Foster. Alrighty, give me a call, 13 12 69 being the telephone number. We'll update you on the latest COVID-19 information as it comes to hand, but there's some other news around again this morning as well. Qantas 
IC is being accused of failing to pay workers their rightful wages after they worked overtime, public holidays and weekends. Unions have taken the airline to the High Court for alleged JobKeeper wage theft. And we know also Qantas have started to outsource a number of ground crew jobs and... Unfortunately, a number, in fact, thousands of Qantas employees have lost their jobs in the past 12 months. And the airline's been propped up by taxpayer dollars, whether it's one-off payments, uh, you know, from the federal government to try and keep the airline afloat. And, of course, it's also been propped up by JobKeeper. That's what I don't understand. Alan Joyce has paid an absolute fortune. I'm sure there are other highly paid executives at Qantas. I don't think they would have been underpaid in the past 12 months. JobKeeper was put in place to ensure that people kept their jobs. Australian Services Union says it's already a difficult time for these employees. Well, uh, gee, I don't know. If I was a worker for Qantas, I'd be bloody well worried about my future. The way the airline has been, uh, well, conducting itself over the past six months in particular. Always with its hand out, but seemingly not doing the right thing for its workers. Anyway, we'll follow this with interest. Unions have taken the airline to the High Court for alleged JobKeeper wage theft. What do you make of it? 13 12 69. U.S. President Donald Trump is facing his second impeachment votes. If he is impeached in the U.S. House of Reps, a trial will be held in the Senate and a two-thirds majority is needed to convict him. Of course, what about the, you know, the old (laughs) Section 45 of the Constitution? There was no way that uh, he was going to be thrown out by his own. Absolutely no way whatsoever was the vice president going to enact the 45th. Anyway, California Republican Congressman Darrell Issa says Mr. Trump called for a peaceful protest in his speech. Yeah, well, has Trumpy always been calling for peace? I've got some highlights I'm going to play very soon, which very clearly show that that's not the case. Absolutely not the case. Alrighty, 13 12 69, the telephone number if you would like to have you say. Now, the government, as we know, have been deliberating on the planned increase to superannuation, which is due to rise from 9.5% to 12% by 2025. But the planned reforms have been met with mixed reactions from, well, almost everybody, both sides of government and, of course, the $3 trillion superannuation sector. The coalition committed to the increase during the last election to which both Labor, the Greens and the Superfund sector agreed. Now, they say the increase would be necessary for an adequate retirement. But I see now some coalition MPs are getting cold feet, pushing for no increase due to concerns it will hamper economic recovery of the coronavirus pandemic. It is a contentious issue. And, of course, business owners would rather it stay as it is. I mean, they've already got enough to deal with, particularly in New South Wales with a ridiculous payroll tax to deal with as well. 
Anyway, the Morrison government I see now is considering giving workers the choice of either putting more money into their pockets or instead putting it into superannuation accounts. So, in other words, an opt-in style of plan. It hasn't been introduced to Parliament yet, but government sources have told the media the scheme might involve increasing the guarantee to, say, around 10% from the current 9.5% and then giving individuals the option to either put the remaining 2% in their super funds or take it home as PAYG. Well, what do you make of that proposal? Give me a call, let me know. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Look, a man will front court today after he allegedly climbed a roof following a foot pursuit with police up in Kempsey. And what did he do? After he led the officers on a pursuit, he allegedly then took off roof tiles and started pelting them at the police. Nice fella. This happened just before one o'clock yesterday. Officers were called to an apartment complex on Leith Street, West Kempsey, after reports a man was threatening a woman. Officers from Mid-North Coast Police District attended and noticed the man who fled and then jumped onto a roof. A perimeter was established and during negotiations, a number of objects, including roof tiles, were pelted at police. Look, additional um, officers were called to the scene and eventually this 26-year-old was arrested on George Hardenman Avenue at around 3 o'clock, taken to Kempsey Police Station and charged with malicious damage using an offensive weapon to prevent lawful detention. Uh, oh, here we go. There we go. Self-administer a prohibited drug. He was also breach, in breach of his bail and wanted on an outstanding warrant. What an upstanding individual he must be. Anyway, he was refused bail and he'll front Port Macquarie local court today. <laughs> All right, uh, look, the news just keeps coming. I care. It's the organisation that keeps on giving. Treasurer Dominic Perrottet in New South Wales has awarded the new Chief Executive Officer of iCare, you ready for it, a $120,000 pay rise. Boy, oh boy. The scandal-plagued workers' compensation insurer's new leader, Richard Hardy, is now... The state's highest paid public servant. Mr. Harding. Uh, is it Hardy or Harding? I've got two versions here. Anyway, this bloke will earn a salary of $821,000. He can also get an annual bonus worth $410,000. By comparison, Mr. Harding's predecessor was paid $700K. The Shadow Minister for Finance and Small Business, Daniel Mookie, said the Treasurer's latest decision was astounding. He says, and I agree, it's a slap in the face for every employer and sick and injured worker begging for a cultural reset at iCare. High salaries and lavish bonuses led to the ruin of New South Wales' workers' compensation system. And instead of handing out a a pay rise to iCare's new leader, the Treasurer should have put a stop to exorbitant salaries and bonus payments. I mean, iCare has confirmed that it paid more than 200 top executives a bonus payment 
iCare's eight top group executives also collected $4 million in salaries and bonuses in a single year. Labor has passed legislation through the Upper House to stop executive bonuses at the troubled insurer and the Legislative Assembly is due to vote on the proposal when Parliament returns in February. Boy, oh boy. I mean, Dominic Perrottet. How can you justify, Treasurer, this pay increase of $821,000? That's what this bloke will earn at the scandal-plagued eye care. That's after we learned yesterday that it had forked out nearly a million dollars of members' money on a cultural review. That coin going to PricewaterhouseCoopers. <laughs> I don't know. There must be so much of it around at a, an agency that allegedly underpaid workers to the tune of, what, 50-odd million dollars in the last 24 months. Anyway, we can talk about that or anything else that's on your mind. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Marcus Paul in the morning. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. $300,000 plus a month just to do a so-called cultural review on a scandal-plagued agency. I mean, that's like adding salt to a wound. I mean, people have lost their jobs for far less. Ministers have stood down for far less, but it's almost as as if there's nothing to see here. This government doesn't think that the rules apply to themselves anymore, and I think that they think that they can get away with anything uh, and they won't be held to account. The difference is, is that this time sick and injured workers and employers are angry about what's gone wrong because ultimately that list of misdemeanours has been paid for by small businesses and big businesses with the money that was meant to help sick and injured workers get back to their health and get back to their jobs. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, welcome back to the program, 13 12 69, my telephone number. Love to hear from you. Let me know what's on your mind. If you want to send us an email, MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Uh, John has sent me a note. Morning, Marcus. Mate, I've got to give you a big rap yesterday on the Laws Show at around 10 to 10. You had a caller named Frank who was talking about his wife of 70-odd years, Mary, who's in an aged care centre. At times, the lovely old fella broke down, especially when he said sometimes that his wife doesn't know him. But to your credit, Marcus, with compassion and care, you carried Frank through the call. I still can't get my head around the stats that show there are 100-plus incidents per week in these homes and sexual assault. For that matter, I find it absolutely shocking. Well, in fact, it's 131 on average per week. John goes on to say these poor dears are in their 80s and 90s, for God's sake. Also, Marcus, a lot of callers were giving big raps to various aged care centres, but they seem to be in regional New South Wales. Well, I did notice that. You know, Tamworth, Dubbo, Taree, Mayfield. Maybe, John says, it's because they're staffed by locals and not agency outfits, with all due respects. It'd be great if you could replay Frank's call sometime today. Well, I'll tell you what, John, we'll do that. OK, I'll do it very soon for you, mate. Marcus Paul in the morning uh, news time soon at 6.30, 5.30 Queensland time, of course. Look, Australia Day, not too far away. It will be a very different Oz Day. They reckon Invasion Day 
Protests will go ahead despite pleas for safety during the COVID-19 pandemic. God, I hope not. I'm really sick of the division. I really am. Australia Day fireworks will proceed as normal this year, but daytime harbour activities, including the regular ferry-thon, have been canned in a bid to make the holiday COVID safe. Well, that's a shame. Can't we still have the ferry-thon on Sydney Harbour and just have police out making sure people are social distanced as they watch the thing on the harbour foreshore? I mean... (laughs) We've got cricket matches going on. We've got the Australian Open tennis being played. Anyway, while activities, including a tall ship's race and a harbour boat parade, will not go ahead, Invasion Day protesters have insisted their gatherings will proceed despite a cap of 500 people. Uh, This report, obviously, this is News Corp. They make a very big deal about so-called Invasion Day. I think it's a, a term that they've made up at the Australian uh, for, you know, headquarters at News Corp or something. An Australia Day concert at the forecourt at the Opera House will start at 7.30 with a reduced capacity crowd followed by fireworks at 9 o'clock. The concert will feature performances by Delta Goodrum and Casey Donovan and it will be dedicated to frontline workers who will be offered first dibs on tickets when they become available. Well, that's a good idea. That's a really good idea. Anyway, I think it's a shame that the traditional and iconic Sydney Harbour daytime program will not be taking place. I really do. I really, really do. I mean, if you get people outdoors and you social distance them and have them wearing masks, etc., then why can't we have the ferry race? What do you make of it? 13 12 69, the telephone number, right on 6.30. From seven New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. Look, there's a meme that's going around on the internet. It features one of my uh, favourite actors, uh, Mr. Mother You Know Water himself, Samuel L. Jackson. And it reads like this There's a picture of Samuel there. He's got his glasses on, he's wearing a suit, he's looking very dapper. And then he apparently says, How can you tell the truth is being told? And then it goes on to say, well, Facebook blocks it, Twitter bans it, Google hides it, YouTube deletes it, government censors it, and the media never mentions it. (laughs) They're out everywhere. Anyway, um, there may be a little bit of truth to this because Google has confirmed it is burying links from traditional media outlets in some of its search results, escalating an ongoing spat between publishers and the tech giant. The company told the Australian newspaper in a statement that the move was part of a short-term experiment. It means that for some users, news stories from commercial media outlets are being hidden by the company's algorithms. 
Every year we conduct tens of thousands of experiments in Google Search. They say we're currently running a few experiments that will each results that will each reach rather about 1% of Google Search users in Australia to measure the impacts of news business and Google Search etc. It goes on. Look, Google can operate their business any way they like. So long as, in my opinion at least, they're not being selective about what they don't show their viewers or their searches, probably a better way of putting it, their searches here in Australia. All right, I uh, I brought you this news this morning. It's the scandal-plagued agency that keeps giving. After we heard that, you know, a pretty top-notch accounting firm had been uh, given a a lot of coin by iCare, $300-odd-thousand a month for three months, nearly a million dollars of the insurer's customers' uh, pay, uh, well, money, I should say, for a a so-called internal review. (laughs) I don't think you need to to spend nearly a million dollars of your members' money to find out the place stinks. Anyway, Treasurer Dominic Perrottet's decision to award the new boss of iCare a massive... $120,000 pay rise is being called greedy and out of touch by unions. It comes, of course, as wages flatline and families confront economic uncertainty. We've had JobKeeper, JobSeeker wound back. But yet if you're the CEO of iCare, you're doing all right. Richard Harding will become New South Wales' top paid public servant at a time when the state's public sector workers are the subject of a pay freeze. Frontline workers, nurses, police, ambos, paramedics, everybody that's kept us safe in the last six to 12 months during this pandemic can't even get a measly 2.5% pay rise that they were after. But this bloke, Richard Harding, well, we'll look after the top. That's what the LNP do best, don't they? Mark Morey is Secretary of Unions, New South Wales. Good morning to you, Mark. Morning, Marcus. How are you? Good, buddy. Happy New Year to you. It's not Thank bad, you. is it? Not bad. Mr Harding will receive a staggering $821,000 each year as well as, an, on top of that, mind you, an annual bonus of four of up to $410,000. So basically, this bloke's on a million bucks a year. His predecessor earned seven hundred k. So... <laughs> I don't get it. This is the scandal-plagued eye care we're talking about. Well, this is this is the frustration that we have. And uh, I talk to workers every day who've been injured, can't get the services they need, uh, the system doesn't get them back to work, and then they read this in the paper. Um, it, it's just scandalous that uh, people are being paid $800,000 and they get a bonus. I mean, if you and I... I mean, it's a great job, 800000 I don't know why, you know, what they're doing over there, uh, and I don't know what the Treasurer is doing. Surely you've got a board that's being paid, you've got a senior executive service that's being paid. How about they just do their jobs um, rather than having reports into the agency? We know what's wrong with it. It's not worker-centred. It doesn't get people back to work. Let's just start with the basics and do what the organisation is supposed to do. I wonder whether this nearly million dollars spent to, you know, uh, the accounting firm, Price Waterhouse Keepers, whoever, 
uh, on this internal review um, led to this decision being made of an increase. <laughs> I just I shake my head. I, I just don't understand. Well, I mean, it's I like know, big Mark. companies. They get they get people in to do remuneration reports. I've yeah. never seen one where anyone's pay goes down. Like it's just ridiculous. And this is this is a, a system that. Uh, ebbs and flows around um, being in deficit or being in surplus, and when it's in deficit, they cut uh, the benefits that go to workers. Yeah, of course they uh, do. But the executives don't seem to get any cuts at all. No, why would they? They're all mates, probably. Mates of Dominic Perrottet, uh, those at the upper echelons of uh, the LNP in New South Wales, they're all on a bloody good wicket. It's jobs for the boys, as we know, and uh, look, I'm afraid to say that if you put it into look, let's put it into perspective. Probably one of the hardest working public servants in New South Wales, right at this point in time, would be, I don't know, Dr. Kerry Chant. Those that are working at the forefront of medical science to try and navigate our way through COVID-19. Now, if Dr. Kerry Chant had received a, a slight pay increase in the last year, I'd probably say, look, fair enough. She's probably working upwards of 20 hours a day. But this bloke, the new CEO of iCare, the scandal-plagued iCare, this bloke will be earning triple times her pay. Doesn't make sense. Not at all. And you think of all those people who have been working for the last 12 months who have been the COVID tracers to make sure that you know the level of COVID in our state has been kept down. We haven't been like Victoria... None of those workers are getting a pay increase at health. Yet this, the, yet eye care is just out of control. It's not in touch with reality. It's not in touch with the workers, uh, you and I, or anyone who's working going to work today. Um, people are scratching their heads, going, "What is going on with this government? And what is going on with the treasurer's decisions?" He's just lost touch with the common person. Well, it's pretty clear there seems to be one rule for the fat cats in New South Wales, and another for all the rest of us. Uh, maybe that won't change any time soon. I don't know. New South Wales public sector workers deserve far better than this. I mean, they were told just before Christmas, as you would know very well, Mark, late last year, that they wouldn't be receiving the, the pay uh, increase that they've been asking for. In fact, they, their pays have effectively been frozen. So it's a bit of a kick in the guts, particularly for hardworking public sector workers. Oh, it's a complete kick in the guts. And hardworking public sector workers are scratching their heads going... How, how do we have taxpayers' money going to these, these people, 17% pay increases, when, when they're told that they have to keep working every day, keep making sure the state functions, and you can't have a pay rise? It's just crazy stuff. All right, Mark. Happy New Year to you, mate. We'll uh, talk again on this, I'm sure, throughout. <laughs> uh, well, let's, uh, look, I would love to have a day where I don't get you on the phone to talk about this kind of rubbish. It's just frustrating. I mean, they must think this stuff grows on trees. Well, I just think they've lost touch, Marcus. That's the problem. Um, and that's the frustrating part of it. They have not got any idea what the average person is going through every day. All right, mate. Good to chat. Thanks, Marcus. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. There he is, Secretary of Unions New South Wales, Mark Morey. Marcus Paul in the morning. From Sydney to the Sunshine Coast. Coffee in the morning. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Yeah, got some uh, detail on this very soon, but I see that uh, the Federal Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg, is buoyed 
by our economic outlook for 2021. It would appear that households and businesses have saved some $200 billion during the pandemic. We'll have some details on that for you very soon. I can understand um, perhaps households, some of them where people have been fortunate enough to keep their jobs and keep a regular paycheck coming through uh, because, let's be honest, they haven't been able to go out and spend. Businesses, probably, some uh, would have saved money with a lot of people working from home. They would have cut back on a number of uh, running costs. But anyway, we'll get some detail on that for you soon. Uh, It certainly put a spring in the step of Federal Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Look, a report from the Human Rights Watch has found that Australia's global reputation is being marred by the failure of addressing abuses against our First Nation people. The group found the BLM matter protests refocused attention on systemic inequality against Indigenous people, especially the high death rate in custody. Now, the report has also labelled the offshore processing of asylum seekers as cruel and unlawful. Alrighty, Marcus Paul in the morning, give me a call. Let me know what's on your mind. 13 12 69, the telephone number if you'd like to send an email. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. And of course, you can send us a text. 0458 049 209. Did you hear about the time when Sir David Attenborough tried to use social media? You like this, don't you, Scruff? Hello, fellow foodies. I'm David Attenborough, sharing with you this delicious meal, a celebration of Earth's bounty from a wonderful restaurant near the... You take the picture before you eat the food, David. (laughs) Social media! I'm David Attenborough, sitting in my own garden. By pure chance, a miracle of nature is happening right in front of me. A butterfly about to emerge from chrysalis. And thanks to Instagram, I can share it with the... Why is this thing buzzing and flashing? Did you remember to charge your phone? No, I didn't remember to... I'm David Attenborough. (laughs) Lately, I've had a few social media fails. And I'm afraid I've used some rather uncouth language for which I apologise. From now on, I promise to laugh at these little failures... Like a grown man should. Oh, no one can see you unless you flip the camera. (laughs) Silly me. I've cocked it up again. (laughs) Ah, There. Look, you can finally see me. As I smash this stupid piece of... David Attenborough's Black and White Planet. And so the dark night continues with no sign of activity on the security camera in my back garden. Wait, it looks like possibly a cat or fox. No, it's nothing. (laughs) Will something f***ing happen? My elusive cell phone has found its way off the dinner table and is lost somewhere on the floor. Still, if we take care, there is still time to recover the phone without damage. Oh, f***ing shit. (laughs) You forgot that last... Shit in there. Did you leave that in for effect, did you? Yeah, he did. Scruff left it in for effect, okay? Oh, how good are they? Spitting image. Remember them? 
Yeah, all-girl band from the 1980s. Uh, that was one of their big hits. Cruel Summer, Marcus Paul in the morning. We've got the latest news, Port and Weather, 7 o'clock, not far away. New South Wales, daylight saving time, of course. Now, we're on air uh, at the moment on 2HD in Newcastle until Richard returns. Your regular breakfast program is Diggy back next week or the week after. So Richard's back next week. All right. Anyway, um, those that are listening through 2HD will recall the Stockton Breakwall Cat Massacre. No, I shouldn't, I shouldn't chuckle at it because it's quite serious. Last year, a Rambo-style shooting operation ordered by the Port of Newcastle saw cats left with open gunshot wounds and permanently blinded. Apparently, this horrendous bloodbath might happen again. There's a petition going called Cancel the Kill. Now, Emma Hurst, who's our hashtag animal warrior, will be on the program to talk about this uh, in around, I don't know, 20-odd minutes' time. She says the suffering of these animals is unthinkable. She says she's heard stories about cats left with broken legs and gaping wounds. These animals must have suffered for many hours. We absolutely can't let it happen again. So we'll talk to Emma about this Stockton Breakwall cat cull or cat massacre, as she's put it. That's on the way. Marcus Paul in the morning. Also, Malcolm Roberts back, ready to rumble with yours truly for 2021. And Joel Fitzgibbon on the program as well a little later. Wake up! You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Okay, welcome back to the program. Good morning if you're just joining us for the first time. It is a Thursday and it is January 14. The federal government seeking out new deals to secure more COVID-19 vaccines, but it is denying claims it's relying too heavily, too heavily rather, on the Oxford AstraZeneca option. Uh, the government is in talks with a dozen companies, but has so far been unable to get more doses from Pfizer, Bio and Tech or any doses from Moderna, both of which were about 95% effective in trials. It has ordered enough doses of the AstraZeneca jab, the bulk of which will be produced in Melbourne by CSL to vaccinate every Australian. Look, I see the Chief Medical Officer Paul Kelly, Dr Paul Kelly, has rejected calls to reconsider its use after some scientists said it's at 62% efficiency. It may not generate herd immunity. There we go. But Professor Kelly is adamant. He says that lives will be saved by the AstraZeneca vaccine. There are no questions over the safety of the vaccine and no one who received it in trials has become seriously ill or has died. But epidemiologists are warning we risk a major outbreak in winter if we delay the vaccine rollout. In fact, Professor Alan Cheng, co-chair of the Australian Technical Advisory Group on Immunisation, says the AstraZeneca vaccine can still protect people even though it is unlikely to generate herd immunity. Look, if you want to have your say about that, I'm, I'm reluctant, of course, to oh, go into too much detail about vaccines, but still, we need to ensure that we have the appropriate vaccines Available to all Australians, the government has spent, well, in excess of a billion plus dollars on buying up the shots for us. 
While in New South Wales, I see, of course, one new local case yesterday, a child linked to the Barala Cluster, and the Northern Beaches has now been removed from the list of national hotspots. This is good. Of course, that's despite the fact that, that Victoria has indicated it will not be reopening the border anytime soon. Mm. Not good, not good. Uh, look, in Queensland, of course, they have some major concerns about this more infectious strain of the virus, the UK strain, that is. It's emerged in Brisbane at the Hotel Chancellor. And, of course, they're talking about anyone who quarantined at the hotel on or after December 30 must get tested and isolate after a six-person cluster of the more infectious strain emerged there. Boy, oh boy, there are problems. That is an immediate threat in the state's capital of Queensland, in Brisbane. All right, 13 12 69, the telephone number to have your say. Small business ombudsman Kate Carnell is calling on the federal government to hand out hex-style loans to help small companies after JobKeeper ends in March. We might try and get Kate on the program at some stage there, Scruff. Uh, Kate's a very good operator herself, and she speaks common sense. Now, of course, the operators of Luna Park are in trouble as well. They've agreed to pay a $5,000 fine after holding a New Year's Eve event, which was attended by a large crowd. Now, there was no social distancing, and my understanding is that they had broken the COVID rules. Uh, There we go. Employment lawyers, meanwhile, say bosses can legally force their staff to return to working in the office, but so far, many in Sydney have not. Look, I wander through the city most days now because I'm catching public transport to work because of the fact we're starting a little later and I get public transport home. The city seems to be waking up each and every day, but it's nowhere near as busy as was it, as what it normally is, maybe things will start to get back to normal when the kids are back at school. Maybe a big part of the reason that so many people continue to work from home is because it's easier while their kids are on school holidays. And to me, that makes perfect sense. We'll see what happens once the, uh, the school holidays finish. Look, I would imagine once the kids go back, you'll find that more staff will return to the offices in the city rather than work from home. All right, give us a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. We're going to catch up with Emma Hurst, our animal warrior from the Animal Justice Party, in just a couple of moments. She wants the Stockton Breakwall cat cull to immediately cease. We'll talk to her about that very soon. Meantime, Bob's on the open line. G'day, Bob. Good morning, uh, Marcus. How are you? All right, thank you, Bobby. What's on your mind? Mate, I know you're going to be talking to the member of the Animal Justice Party, Rue, the, the cat cull. Now, mate, don't get me wrong here. I'm not a cat hater, and I just... Mate, there's over 30-odd million cats running loose around this great country of ours, destroying our native wildlife. Now, there's something that's got to be virtually done about that, but the situation in, in Newcastle, it's the way that the port authorities are going about it, which is totally inappropriate, mate. You know, you can't go around shooting cats. There's other ways no. yes. to trap wild animals. Crap them correctly and euthanise them the correct way. You know, they're not this 
And, you know, at the end of the day, mate, the buck stops with the government because they privatised the port and allowed this mob to just go around like Roy Rogers shooting cats. Well, not only that. I mean, they say that, you know, it's being done in a safe and appropriate manner, but I don't think there's anything safe or appropriate about shooting cats, even if they are feral cats. All right, mate. Thank you, Bobby. Appreciate it. Thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. the number, if you'd like to have your say. Marcus Paul in the morning. Yeah, just gone a quarter past seven. Morning, Emma. How are you? I'm well, Marcus. How are you? Good, thank you. Happy New Year to you and all at the Animal Justice Party in New South Wales. Thank you. Happy New Year as well to you. All right. Uh, I just had a caller on this situation. Uh, he blames the state government because they've privatised uh, uh, the war, uh, the um, wharfs uh, and the ports. So tell me, uh, last year, is it true that there was a Rambo-style shooting operation to cull feral cats around the port of Newcastle? Absolutely. So it was in December last year, and I mean these these cats were part of a, um, a trap neuter return program. So there was local community members who were caring for these cats, yeah. um, and obviously these TNR programs, trap neuter release. It, it's actually proven overseas to be very effective at actually reducing the number of wild animals mm-hmm. um, and at reducing the number of homeless cats. So these community members were taking it upon themselves. They'd already removed many of the cats. Um, and found them loving forever homes. Um, and then one morning they came out to feed the cats and what they were met with was just absolute carnage. Um, they found cats with broken bones, with uh, bullets through the eyes. They had to rush cats to vets. Um, and these animals had just been left suffering and in pain. And, and it's just absolutely inexcusable that this occurred. How many cats are there around the port of Newcastle? Are they a major pest? Is it a major problem? So my understanding is that um, she'd already reduced the numbers. So the Stray Cats Project who were working in the area had already significantly reduced the numbers. Um, I don't think that there was an enormous number left. Um, But, I mean, the thing is there are so many other methods and these animals were already being, um, you know, those numbers were already being reduced. Um, The people who were involved in that say, say that they hadn't been consulted by the Port of Newcastle at all. Um, to try to find other solutions for these cats if, if more needed to be removed. Um, they just simply went ahead with a, with a mass cat massacre well, who, um, and a botched one at that. Yeah, who was, uh, who was shooting these cats? Did they, uh, did they employ contractors or was it just any hick with a gun that you know, was allowed to turn up at the, war, at the, the port around the wharf area and just go for, go for glory? Well, uh, the Port of Newcastle have confirmed that they did commission the kill. Um, it's still unclear to us exactly who they employed to do this. Um, but of course, you know, it, and it does. I mean, I think you said before it was like a Rambo-style shooting. I mean, you think about trying to shoot anything or anyone on a break wall. Um, I mean, it's it's dangerous. Um, it, it's very likely to, to cause the outcome that we've seen. Yes. Um, it just seems extremely irresponsible and um, and, and unthought. Like it, it, there's been no thought put into this before it actually occurred. Now, obviously, you and others want this horrendous bloodbath to never happen again. Uh, you want people to cancel the kill, and I understand that. There's a petition going. Is there a risk that? You know, um, the port of Newcastle might again uh, allow people to arm up and, and 
bringing contractors to shoot the cats? So the Animal Justice Party has asked for a public commitment um, from the Port of Newcastle to protect the survivors that are still at Stockton Breakwall. Um, so far, they haven't made any commitment not to kill any further cats, um, and, which is just unthinkable. Um, to, when we consider what happened in December last year, um, the fact that they haven't been able to confirm that there'll be no further killing um, is is just unimaginable. Um, I mean, they're still being investigated. My understanding is they're still being investigated for animal cruelty from the last shooting in December. Um, the RSPCA have been investigating. We haven't heard of the outcomes of that investigation. Um, but because these animals were left to suffer for a very prolonged period of time, yeah. um, I mean, they could look be looking at charges for animal cruelty. Um, so the fact that they... Uh, uh, possibly even considering a further kill um, is just uncomprehendable. Yeah, absolutely, Emma. And we'll keep uh, the fight up with you. Uh, we'll put a link up uh, to the right. uh, petition to cancel the kill uh, through the Action Network uh, and uh, we'll talk further on this. We might even try and get someone from the Port of Newcastle on the program at, at some point uh, this week before uh, the regular breakfast show returns on 2HD up there. All right, Emma. Wonderful. Good to chat. Thanks again, Marcus. Talk soon. Okay, bye. There she is, Animal Hurst, our hashtag animal warrior from the Animal Justice Party. Look, I know that uh, many will say, yeah, the cats are a problem there. I, look, I completely understand that, and I completely respect that point of view, but that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be more humane ways of of getting the cats out of the area, removing them from the break wall, removing them from the, the port of Newcastle. You know, uh, and as Emma said, there's an organisation that's been going in and out of there for a while, you know, number of volunteers, animal lovers, of course they would be, who have managed to rehome some of these cats and find them forever homes. I mean, isn't that the the kind of thing that everybody would like to see happen? And I, I take the point too. I mean, it is dangerous if you're trying to shoot at stray cats along a break wall. I mean, what happens with a ricocheting bullet, for goodness sake? I don't know. I just, I just don't like the idea of the way it's been operated. And we will try and speak to the Port of Newcastle about it. On the open line, 21 and a half after 7, 13, 12, 69. Barry, good morning. Good morning. Yes, Baz. As you know, as you know Marcus, and every person in Australia probably knows that feral cats are the, the biggest scourge and killers of the natural wildlife. Absolutely. And, they kill billions. And, and there's millions day. of them yeah. out in the bush and everything. If they do irreversible damage, they've, they've just about wiped out all the small white uh, marsupials and all this sort of thing. And there's something got to be done about that, a bounty put on them or, or something. I mean, if you're, if you're moggy in your house and everything else, you don't let out and eat the birds like most of them do. Well, we, I think we've done. They are a dangerous yeah, animal. Of course they are, and I think we've done quite well with cat containment here in Australia. Maybe all we need, Barry, uh, you know, to stop strays from getting out in the first place is uh, some government funding for an education campaign. Uh, I mean, we need to ensure that cat containment is front and centre for cat owners. 
that's a start. And then, of course, when it comes to uh, the disposal and the, you know, dealing with uh, the feral species, I mean, out in the bush is a little different. I mean, uh, you know, you can bait and I guess there could be shooting and you're talking about a bounty, all the rest of it. My concern with bounty type situations that it bring, is that it brings out the yahoos. I, look, even if they, even if a cat is feral, I don't want it to be shot and then limp around until it dies an agonising an agonising death from a, a gunshot wound. I mean, that's no, just no. Well, maybe not. But the, 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 the thing is, rats are feral too, and no one cares about them. They all live. They're, but they're just they're more dangerous than rats. All right. Well, that's right. That's why maybe. We need to ensure. Um, look, uh, look. I know that air rifles are used, not guns or normal ammunition, uh, but it's still a concern. Uh, well, I mean, there's got to be other ways, whether it be uh, poisoning or, or whatever, yeah. and, and do it under the proper proper uh, auspices of the people yep. concerned. That's right. But, Regulate but, it, and 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 you know, maybe some baiting in play that that uh, yeah. doesn't lead to an agonising death of a feral cat. I agree 100% with you. They we, are we, an issue. We, we bait foxes, we bait dingoes, we yep. do all sorts of stuff. Now, the, the same has got to be done with, with these feral cats. All right, mate. Well said. Okay. And I agree. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. Have Bye. a great morning. 13 12 69, the telephone number. <laughs> yes. Lloyd and Andre 3000. And I missed that. Marcus Paul in the morning, 13, 12, 69. Roger, good morning. How are you? Roger. Yeah, how are you, mate? All right, Roger. What's on your mind, mate? You're, you're a bit of a disappointment to me because bricklayers are peace workers, not wage takers, but we'll leave that aside. You want to know how to get rid of the cats? Tell me, Rog. You, you use large fox terrier dogs mm. with blokes that know what they're doing and 410 shotguns. All right. The, the 410 shotgun travels 40 metres. Right. Won't, won't hurt anybody. Except for the and cats. that's why you get rid of the cats. Mm, I don't know. I don't think we should be shooting cats. That's just me, Rog, but I'm a disappointment to you. Anyway, thank you. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, Marcus. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, pleasure as always. Um, on, on the cats, have you heard of 1080, the poison they use down in Tasmania? Uh, well, you tell me about it, mate. Right, or 1080, it causes, uh, it's like a little blue thing that looks, they, it looks like a carrot and uh, little critters eat it and they'll die a horrible death. And also, it, like a dog can bite an animal and get poisoned itself. And I just thought, well, I agree with the last one of the last callers who said, well, if it was rats, we wouldn't really care so much about them if they were suffering. Well, look, some people probably do. I don't know. It's one of these issues. You either you either support uh, culling of animals of any kind or you don't. Uh, look, I support the culling uh, as humanely as possible of certain animals. But I, look, I'm sorry. I just I shy away from shooting cats. I just do. It's just me. It's the same with uh, you know the cull of kangaroos. I shy away from shooting of kangaroos only because sometimes you don't kill them with one shot and they suffer I don't like any animal suffering but then again that's just me and now on Marcus Paul in the morning Senator Malcolm Roberts alright welcome back 22 minutes to 8 that is of course New South Wales Daylight Saving Time time to catch up with One Nation Senator Malcolm Roberts Happy New Year Malcolm Happy New Year to you Marcus and thank you very much you're welcome did you have a nice did you get a break at all 
I took some time off between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. All yep. right, mate. Yeah, good on you. Um, How was, about you? Yeah, I had a couple of weeks off, which was nice. Uh, caught up with family as much as I could, and then Anastasia closed the border on me again, and I couldn't get up to see Dad on the Gold Coast. Isn't that disgraceful? Just capricious the way that woman works on this. Just, just uh, conditioning people to take, accept control. It's, that's all it is. It's just nonsense. All right, Donald Trump. I mean, I'm looking forward to my wine. It's on its, it's, on its way, apparently. Yes, I ordered it um, straight after the sixth, so it should be should be there pretty soon. Um, it was recommended to me by Vic Panisi, the Southern Downs Mayor in Warwick. Yep. I don't drink wine. I don't drink spirits. I, the stiffest thing I have is. Um, uh, light beer, but uh, my wife really <laughs> enjoyed it, so um, yeah. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you, mate. Thank you. It was a bit of fun. Uh, banning Trump from Twitter and other social media platforms. I mean, Twitter has benefited enormously from Trump using their platform during his presidency. Shares of Apple, Amazon and Alphabet, the parent company of Google, all shed more than 2% on Monday. They will suffer, according to you, um, by this ban. Yes, uh, I'm married to an American. I've uh, traveled through all 50 states of America. I've lived and worked there and studied there, and I've worked in eight states. Um, I get to know them pretty well. Americans don't like uh, this kind of behavior from someone acting capriciously. You know, as you said, it's quite right. Twitter has benefited enormously from Trump. They didn't seem to be bothered with him over the last four years, and they don't seem to be bothered with uh, supporting Venezuela's dictatorship, Iran's dictatorship. Uh, and communist China's communist party, um, but now it's uh, now that we've got a Democrat coming into the White House, they seem suddenly to be concerned about Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean they have protections as an open platform, both uh, Twitter and Facebook, for instance. Uh, they're not subjected to the same laws and rules as traditional media, as they claim not to be publishers. But deleting tw- uh, Trump's whole account of tweets is kind of acting, acting as a publisher, is it not? You're absolutely correct, uh, Marcus. It's, it's akin to book burning. That's what it really is. It's just like burning books. As a publisher, they need to be accountable to the same laws that govern publishers, and that's why uh, Trump was coming after them to make sure they are publishers. But um, they're, they're acting capriciously, just like the Queensland Premier. Um, you know, we, we've now heard that uh, there's interference with the Ugandan uh, Facebook and Twitter account holders ahead of the election today. Ugandan accounts have been linked to the incumbent president. They've been removed from Facebook. Uh, Social media platforms are taking sides in an election by removing these accounts. It's not the business of social media to decide who is good or bad. Uh, Now, some people, Marcus, might say, well, you know, it's a free enterprise society. You can join Mm -hmm. Twitter. They can kick you off, whatever. If you make a contract with Twitter to use them, then they don't cut you off just before an election, which has been the threat from Twitter and Facebook for quite some time, that they would... uh, they would cut candidates or even parties off their, their services uh, just before an election at the last minute when they can't do anything about it. And that's exactly what's happening in, in Uganda, and it's exactly what's happening in America. All right. Well, look, some people say, well, you know, uh, the Murdoch media uh, seem to favour certain political parties, and so why shouldn't social media giants be able to do the same thing? That's a, that's a very good argument. Um, However, as I just said, if you're going to if you're going to take my material as a, as a, if you as a social media platform are going to take my material for four or five or ten years, yeah. and then suddenly cut me off before an election, that's not on. Now no. with Murdoch, I've got a choice. We know that he has favoured the Labor Party at times. We came out very strongly in favour of Rudd 
I think he came out strongly in favour of Whitlam. Um, and I know that he's also favoured the Liberal Party at times. But I've got a choice. I don't have to buy the Australian newspaper. I don't have to watch his television stations. True. And, and uh, that, that's my choice if I, if I do that. He can... He, he can it's, it's like um, Murdoch's Fox News in America. When they started becoming biased, just like, um, uh, just like CNN over the U.S. election, reportedly the number of subscriptions that Fox News had plummeted by 50%. So they're now starting to think about, because Americans have said, we've had enough of this bias. So, Marcus, I think if you're paying for a service, you can choose what you want to do. But if I've got an established relationship with, with someone, then they shouldn't cut me off just before an election because I'm a candidate. All right, Australia Day, not too far away, Malcolm. Uh, some councils seem to be cancelling celebrations, refusing to celebrate the National Day saying they are in solidarity with Indigenous campaigners. It almost appears like they're, if you like, blaming or hiding behind COVID-19 to justify uh, the cancellation. Yes, you're right. Some, some councils are refusing to celebrate the National Day, saying they're in solidarity with Indigenous campaigners, mm. um, which makes me wonder, because there are many Aboriginals who openly support Australia Day, including some prominent spokespeople a male and female from the Aboriginal community. So I don't know where they're getting that from. And secondly, some are, as you said, refusing to celebrate and blaming COVID. Greater Sydney councils, including Liverpool, North Sydney, Parramatta and Canterbury-Bankstown, uh, are still going to have um, normal citizenship ceremonies, but have cancelled all large gatherings because of COVID. So there's some genuine uh, concern in there as well. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, it's an Australia Day. We all should come together, especially uh, 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 after this tumultuous year we've had in 2020 mate absolutely yeah i mean we've been through enough if we are in this together why can't we celebrate together uh, yeah i mean the divide division and some of the uh, narrative that seems so negative really isn't needed at this time and and i do get a little frustrated that every every year as it rolls around december uh beg your pardon january 26 becomes you know uh, a poster, if you like, for people that like to call it Invasion Day, etc. I don't think we have the stomach for it this year, to be honest. No, I agree with you, mate. And, uh, you know, we, it's usually a beat-up from Richard Di Natale when he was in the Senate. He was the one who pushed it. Mm. Um, I don't know who's pushing it now. I think it's just become uh, some martyrs within various councils just wanting to make their, make their say. But um, yeah. I agree with you. We need to come united in this country. All right, now, finally, um, there's another arbitrary lockdown. Uh, we know in Brisbane uh, there, there are con- some quite serious concerns of this United Kingdom strain of COVID-19, which is a little more dangerous than the previous ones, for goodness sake. But if individual states are paying for JobKeeper, then you say you bet there will be different decisions. I mean, the drastic and abrupt closures, uh, I don't know, sometimes they are needed, but... I mean, at the end of the day, all it's doing is wrecking the economy uh, and ruining plans that people have for weddings and other major events in their lives. You're absolutely right, Marcus. Um, and and what, what is really important here is that the World Health Organization, which is admittedly corrupt, dishonest and incompetent, but even it, even it says that lockdowns are a last resort and lockdowns are used to get control uh, of a virus in the early stages. This basically says that Anastasia Palaszczuk in Queensland is admitting she doesn't have control of the virus. And that's a significant thing because what we're doing in this country is we're not managing the virus. The virus is managing us. 
some one case pops up, one positive test pops up in Brisbane, and we lock down a city of one and a half to two million people in Greater Brisbane. And you know what happened was that um, you you hit the nail on the head because we have got to have the economy healthy because a healthy economy is the only way you're going to get future health, mental health, and physical health. So. We have had an insane debate in this country, should we look after health or the economy? The answer is you do both, and the leading countries in the world, Taiwan in particular, is doing both because you have to protect people's health, but you have to protect the economy to maintain future health, mental and physical. And so we have got a, a stupid debate going on in this country. It's not economy or health, it's both, and that's why how you protect health. And so this really, you know, the, the Premier was giggling on, on radio on Monday. I, I heard her. They were talking about the, the traffic jams of people flooding out of Brisbane. And yeah. the Premier, after destroying small business and destroying families' uh, activities over the weekend, laughed when she said that the Gold Coast had great occupancy. There were traffic jams of people leaving Brisbane. I mean, what's that going to do for spreading the virus if... if such a thing was uh, the root cause of what yeah. she was doing. It's no, insane. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, COVID will continue its presence. We need more testing, rigorous quarantining and isolation of the sick and vulnerable, and we need to get back to work as well. Uh, the New South Wales Premier, Gladys Berejiklian, you say, seems to have been the most measured and pragmatic in response to the complex challenge of managing this pandemic. I, I, I say that. I don't have uh, much time for the New South Wales LNP government, but I think when it comes to managing COVID, they've done the best. But they've still done a poor job by world standards. Let's not kid ourselves. Australia has had 900, uh, over 900 deaths from COVID, and what we've got is a country that's 25 million people. Taiwan has got 24 million people on a densely populated island. Sometimes the population density is a 1,000 times what we've got here in Brisbane, for example. And they've had earlier introduction of the virus. They've had longer with it. They've got much more into, into connection with the communist China where the, where the virus started in Wuhan. They've had seven deaths, seven deaths. And what they've done is they've focused exactly what we were talking about a minute ago. They've focused on the economy and health. And what they've got is, is they've got a government that is worthy of trust. I've talked to people from, from Taiwan. They've told me that. The government's not perfect, but at least it involves people. It presents data. These people in, in New South Wales, even, and even though I've said it's the best, are not presenting the data to underpin their, their plans. And so what we've got, Marcus, is we've got plans all over the country that are completely different. Now, I, I like the idea of that in the sense that it maintains uh, state sovereignty, but it shows me when there's so much diverse plans that no one's got the data backing up the plans. And people deserve to have that data to, to, sh to know that their leaders are basing those decisions on data. All right, Malcolm, great to catch up. We'll talk again next week. Appreciate it. See you, Marcus. One Nation's Malcolm Roberts. Marcus Paul in the morning. Are you there, Al? Yes. Hello, Al. How are you? Oh, good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, well, what that fellow was saying was spot on, absolutely spot on. Uh, I'd like to add add to that. Yeah. Um, he mentioned about the World Health Organization uh, uh, going into China to investigate the uh, origins of this uh, virus. Mm. Um, look, they'll never find anything. It's already been covered up. And, and also the World Health Organization rightly was uh, just mentioned as being corrupt. Uh, they they are completely intimidated by China and and nothing will ever be found. So when when you hear that they are disappointed or they're angry with China, that's that's an act. 
It's it's just like something out of a movie. Uh, uh, look, they'll never find anything uh, because uh, that's just the way it is. Um, uh, look, I just want to also talk about the uh, state governments with their uh, locking down of uh, borders. Borders, yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, it, it's 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 un-Australian. In my opinion, it's totally un-Australian, and especially Western Australia and Queensland, totally over the top. And it's hurt. I know a lot of people in Northern New South Wales. It's hurt a lot of people, and 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 now now we've got the uh, lockdown in Brisbane, and now we've got the, this new case. So, so what has what has it achieved for uh, Queensland, or what has it achieved for New South Wales? All right, good points. I, I, yeah, I'd say nothing. Also, there's another point too. <coughs> in the Constitution of 1901, it indicated quite clearly in a, in a couple of sections that no states can be, uh, uh, no borders can be locked down without the express uh, uh, agreement of the federal government. So, I'd like to know. Uh, well, how come they've uh, closed them down? Is it legal, or has the has the federal government agreed to it? Well, a lot of grey areas. Yeah, it's a big grey area. The prime minister has basically um, washed his hands of the whole thing. I remember Scott That's Morrison right. saying very clearly, "Well, it's up to various individual jurisdictions. It's up to each state acting on their own medical advice as to what they choose to do." That's the problem. I think the federation is broken. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Great call. La, 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 la. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. You can hear me through the radio. Marcus Paul, weekday mornings from 5am on 2SM. Okay, look, Labor backbencher Joel Fitzgibbon says Australia is becoming an unattractive place in which to invest. We'll have Joel on the program just after 8 o'clock, New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. And talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. $300,000 plus a month just to do a so-called cultural review on a scandal-plagued agency. I mean, that's like adding salt to a wound. I mean, people have lost their jobs for far less. Ministers have stood down for far less. But it's almost as, as if... There's nothing to see here. This government doesn't think that the rules apply to themselves anymore, and I think that they think that they can get away with anything uh, and they won't be held to account. The difference is is that this time sick and injured workers and employers are angry about what's gone wrong because ultimately that list of misdemeanours has been paid for by small businesses and big businesses with the money that was meant to help sick and injured workers get back to their health and get back to their jobs. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, we've got to go to the news uh, in just a moment or so. When we get back, Joel Fitzgibbon will be on the program. He thinks Australia uh, is a bit of a dud place at the moment in which uh, foreign companies can invest. Is it because the government's knocked back a recent proposal from a Chinese company? We'll find out. From Dubbo to the Gold Coast. Get up. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. All right, welcome back. Um, it's just gone five minutes after eight. New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. For my Queensland listeners, you realise that the most popular baby names in your state have been released for 2020? No surprises, I don't think, in the list. Uh, for the boys, Oliver is number one, number two, Noah, number three, Jack, number four, William, number five, Henry. 
What about for the girls? What do you think was the most popular girl's name in Queensland last year for bubs? Charlotte. It's a lovely name. Olivia was second, Isla third, Amelia fourth, and Mia fifth. Uh, our open line number 13 12 69, if you'd like to have your say. Emails, I've got a couple of them here. This one from Graham. Marcus, though I like cats, I don't own one. I also understand that they can be destructive. However, throughout my life, most, if not all, the nastiest people that I've come across just plain hate cats for no other reason than they just hate them. I honestly believe that either they have a phobia of the animals or have some sort of psychiatric problem. Many of the world's jails hold prisoners who tortured animals. That's a known fact. Okay, Graham, thank you for that. And this one as well from Harry regarding Malcolm. Sorry, but that bloke Malcolm is beyond wrong. Okay, um, you're talking about Malcolm Roberts, the senator who we have on the program each and every week. Uh, You think that Malcolm has a case of sour grapes... He says, Berejik Lynn has done a good job, really. What about the Ruby Princess? What about Newmarch House? He complained about states closing their borders. Last year, the New South Wales government closed off the Victorian border and hurt Victorian businesses. Does Malcolm not know that? Because of Berejik Lynn's border closure to Victoria, many people did not see family members for some 12 months. Seriously, man, <laughs> says Harry. All right, Harry, well, one thing we do on this program is uh, we allow all points of view, including yours, Malcolm Roberts, the Senator and others. And that's why I I, I like getting different uh, Senators on, uh, different opinions on from people like yourself, so we can throw up all these ideas and it's up to each and every person to make up their own mind. <laughs> Donald Trump. Boy, oh boy. What's the latest on Donald Trump? Do I really need to go into it? Apart from the fact that he's about to be impeached, I can't believe that there are still some people out there who say that the Don has never, ever incited any violence. What, not ever? What a load of absolute malarkey. Well, I certainly don't incite violence. I don't condone violence. I don't talk about violence. So if you see somebody getting ready to throw a tomato, knock the crap out of them, would you? Seriously. Okay? Just knock the hell. I promise you, I will pay for the legal fees. I promise. And you know what? The audience swung back. And I thought it was very, very appropriate. Get out of here. Get out. Out! Try not to hurt them. If you do, I'll defend you in court. Don't worry about it. He was so obnoxious and so loud. He was screaming. He should have been, maybe he should have been roughed up because it was absolutely disgusting what he was doing. That will never happen with me. I don't know if I'll do the fighting myself or if other people will. If your words can inspire them to cheer, to go to the polls and vote, to speak out for you, don't you think your words in some way can inspire them to violence and incite violence as well? Don't you understand that you can't say in one tone, no, well, I'm getting people I, to vote for I me, don't, I don't, but my words have meaning, but then violence. on the other hand, my words don't have meaning when it comes to another particular issue. Yeah, well, I certainly don't incite violence, and I certainly would, I don't condone violence. He's walking out like big high fives, smiling, laughing, like to punch him in the face, I'll tell you.
I love the old days. You know what they used to do to guys like that when they were in a place like this? They'd be carried out on a stretcher, folks. In the good old days, this doesn't happen because they used to treat them very, very rough. And when they protested once, you know, they would not do it again so easily. I wanted to hit a couple of those speakers so hard. I would have hit them. No, no. I was going to hit one guy in particular. Yeah, he doesn't incite violence. No, not at all. Now on Marcus Paul in the morning. I have always believed in miracles. The latest from the capital. With Christina Rosengrand. Morning, Christina. How are you? Very well, Marcus. How are you? Oh, look, I can't complain. I'm okay. Uh, Things are good. It's Thursday. We're four days into the new year for our program, and old Scruff out there hasn't given me your talking points. But that's okay. Uh, I will just throw to you. Uh, what are we? What are we chatting about this morning, you and I? Uh, the first, the first uh, story we're having a chat about is uh, the Morrison government looking to uh, boost the vaccine supply, so looking for some new deals. Mm, yes, uh, look, there's a lot being said about uh, what's going on. So tell me what you know. Yes, yeah, so the government's currently in talks with a dozen different companies to uh, secure new doses of the uh, of COVID nineteen vaccine candidates, and uh, that's of course uh, after we heard that the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, could only be uh, 62% effective at preventing disease when given in standard doses. So that yeah. the idea is that it might not be enough to build up herd immunity. Mm-hmm. And that's in comparison to the trials from Pfizer and Moderna, which showed that they are around uh, 95% effective. So, of course, there are now calls for the government to get more of those vaccines instead. So we have 10 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine, uh, which is enough to vaccinate 5 million people because it's two doses per person. And uh, the AstraZeneca vaccine is the one we have the most of. We have 50 million doses of that one, which is enough to vaccinate our whole population. Uh, so the government is in talks to secure more doses of the Pfizer candidate, uh, because, but that's not that easy, of course, because yeah. uh, every country is uh, looking to secure do- more doses of that one because it's the most effective. Uh, the National Chief Health Officer, Paul Kelly, says that, you know, there have been in negotiations, but uh, Pfizer is pretty adamant and can only provide what it, it is already providing to us at the moment. Well, that's um, right. But Mr. Kelly is still quite adamant that the uh, AstraZeneca vaccine will still save lives, uh, but the government, you know, is still in negotiation. So we'll see where that gets us. Yeah, well, some epidemiologists are concerned, including a Professor Gregory Dore, who's warned that we risk a major outbreak this coming winter if we delay any vaccine rollout. So we need to get it right. Uh, I know that some are also saying we just... You know, just put the brakes on a little bit. Let's not rush into this. Let's do it properly. So we'll see what happens. But, I mean, I am concerned uh, that if it's only 62% effective, uh, this AstraZeneca option may not generate herd immunity. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. There are calls as well, Christina, for anti-slavery laws to be tightened amid a UK crackdown. Anti-slavery laws. Yes. So in the UK, um, the British Parliament's moving to address concerns that, uh, you know, Britain's been complicit in the use of forced labour in China. And so that's referring to the claims of uh, Uyghurs being held in detention camps in the Xinjiang province, which uh, supplies nearly a quarter of the world's cotton. So there are huge factories there where these uh, detained 
trainees are being mm. forced to work. And the uh, the British Foreign Minister, Dominic Raab, has released some proposals to sort of stamp out this issue. Uh, they include fining companies if they fail to properly investigate whether slavery is being used at any point in their supply chain, and also possible sanctions on Chinese officials involved in uh, these detention camps in the, in the province. So uh, yeah. back home, the Australian Council of Trade Unions is warning that, you know, we have very similar problems. Um, our current anti-slavery laws uh, basically leave the door wide open for products made with this forced labour. And uh, that's partly because um, our laws only apply to businesses with an annual turnover of one, over $100 million. And uh, we also don't fine companies. So uh, apparently there's an upcoming review of these laws and the federal mm. government's going to be looking at what the UK is doing and other countries and will consider different options on the back of that. All right. Now, former Prime Minister Paul Keating has hit out at a government's proposal to allow workers to put some of their superannuation into their take-home pay. I've just got some detail on this before I get your, your comments, Christina. Workers would be given the choice between locking in a higher superannuation rate or taking home more pay under this controversial proposal handed to the federal government for consideration. Now, the government debate continues, of course, as to whether or not, uh, because previously to the last federal election, both major parties agreed that the superannuation um, payments from business to employees would rise to 12.5%. Of course, that's upset a lot of business owners, saying they simply can't afford it, and maybe this thing should be put on hold uh, until after the COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, exactly. So uh, in July, it's legislated to rise by half a percentage point, and then it'll keep rising by that half a percentage point uh, until it hits a ceiling of 12% in 2025. So that's legislated. As you mentioned, employer groups are against this uh, because of the economic fallout that we've been experiencing. And also coalition MPs and senators have also been making a bit of noise on this. Uh, So the government's been considering some different ways to maybe work out a compromise. One idea is to, uh, to scrap the half a percentage jump in July and just go straight to 10% next year. Uh, But they're also considering what you just mentioned, uh, allowing workers to choose to put that extra superannuation into their take-home pay. And uh, I'll just mention quickly that the plan hasn't gone to Cabinet yet, so it's still relatively early stages. Uh, But the former Prime Minister, Paul Keating, the architect of the super system, uh, he's been quick to come out and reject this idea. He thinks it's just another liberal attempt to poke a hole through the system. And he says the take-home pay option is not, you know, what the system was set up to do. It was set up to uh, set people up for a decent retirement after they finish working. And Kevin Rudd has made some similar comments as well. Yep. I see that uh, the Treasurer has been on the television this morning, Josh Frydenberg. Uh, he says uh, that the stimulus package uh, over COVID-19 has boosted our savings uh, by you know an incredible amount of money, I think some $200 billion plus. Uh, and that kind of makes sense when you think about it, because a lot of businesses... Uh, during the lockdown have also saved money because a lot of people have been working from home. Uh, They've cut back on a number of expenditure uh, items because of that. Uh, And also, of course, um, there's the JobKeeper supplements that have been in play. Um, But more importantly, I think, personal savings have increased in this so-called windfall that's seen the Treasurer looking a little more confident about the year ahead. Uh, I mean, people who have had steady paychecks haven't been able to spend their money, Christine. You haven't been able to They've go anywhere. Home, yes. Yeah, I mean, while you're sitting at home, you're spending less money. You're not spending it on items or trips away or, you know, um, uh, 
dinners uh, out as you would normally have done. So that makes perfect sense. But it's uh, it's seen uh, old Frydenberg smiling like a Cheshire cat this morning. So that's some good news at least. Definitely patting himself on the back, I think. All right. Thank you, Christina. Thank we'll you. We'll catch up with you again tomorrow. Um, you sure you want to... Go back to camera. You can stick around. I think I have to. to. All right. right, We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. Thanks. Marcus Paul in the morning. Quick break and we're back uh, now. Um, We're going to speak to Joel Fitzgibbon, member for Hunter in just a couple of moments. He's made some comments that have uh, been, well, controversial of late. But what do you make of what he's had to say in the last 24 hours? Now, he's come out on Sky, I noticed, late yesterday, basically saying that because of the fact that our governments are cracking down on foreign investment, that maybe the joint isn't a great place to invest anymore. That's according to Joel Fitzgibbon. I'll get to him to explain exactly what he means by that on the program. He says that our country is fast becoming an unattractive place in which to invest. Welcome back. Uh, Now it's 21 and a half after eight. After seven in Queensland, the New South Wales Police Minister, David Elliott. Sad day for the police force in New South Wales with the laying to rest of the young senior constable who drowned last week while trying to save somebody in the Blue Mountains. Uh, We'll talk to David on the program about that day. uh, Sorry, about the, the funeral which is being held today in Lithgow and also about the wonderful work that his officers have done Uh, during uh, the latter stages of the pandemic and over the Christmas and New Year period. That's on the way. Right now, though, I see that Labor backbencher Joel Fitzgibbon says that Australia is becoming an unattractive place in which to invest. Let's find out what Fitzy means by all of that. He's the member for Hunter, of course. Joel, good morning. How are you, mate? Uh, g'day, Marcus. I'm going very well, thanks. Happy New Year. And to you. How's the golf swing going? I, I saw you were out on uh, a couple of courses over the Christmas New Year period. Yeah, I've been playing two, uh, twice a week over the, the oh. Christmas period, uh, which has uh, helped my swing just a little, yeah. Marcus. But like uh, most hackers, I I remain very inconsistent. Hackers? Come on, you're off. Uh, you're off. You're off the stroke, aren't you? What, what one or two <laughs> handicap? Come on. Yeah. Sadly not, mate. No, Sadly okay. not. <laughs> All right. Now, you've been uh, out in the media in the last 24 hours. What do you mean when you say that you're a little concerned that our country is becoming an unattractive place in which to invest? Is this because we block the uh, $300 million pro-build takeover by a Chinese company? Speak with the Australian business community, Marcus, and they will tell you. Uh, that the people they speak to in other nation states are asking them what's going on in Australia. It, it's a it's a place which has always been rightly open to foreign investment. In fact, we've built our country on the back of the money of others. We're a, we're a small country in population terms. We only have so much savings amongst us, so we rely on the capital of others, and we've always done so, in particular, historically, and still from the United States, the UK and Canada... But in recent years, of course, we've been growing our source of capital from uh, a growing China, but still China is nine on the list. We we get about $80 billion out of China each year. Uh, The US, for example, provides about $900 billion. 
But we've always had a screening process, uh, Marcus, or at least until the, the mid-70s, uh, I think under Gough Whitlam, to make sure that money coming in is an adverse to our interest, to make sure there are uh, adverse impacts for our economy or indeed for our national security. Yeah. But of late, uh, the Foreign Investment Review Board process appears to have become more of a political tool. Scott Morrison um, unnecessarily and irresponsibly responsibly started a fight with China, our biggest trading partner. Mm. They, of course, uh, have responded, and we've seen the impact of that on our farmers and our miners and our fishers and others. Yeah. And now Scott Morrison has decided he's going to fight back, double down. Now, it's a pretty big panda we've poked, and this is going to lead to a lot of economic pain for Australia and Australians. Yeah, it's a very uh, difficult line to walk. I mean, I understand, uh, obviously, we need to bear in mind that even though they're not one of the not the greatest contributor, um, you know, with investment, but certainly, as you say, they're up there. Um, is it, Are we sending the wrong signal um, by knocking back ProBuild's uh, bid? I mean, without going into the full detail, I don't know the full details of exactly why, but ultimately the Treasurer claim that it wasn't in our national interest. I mean, uh, is, it, is it almost like they're picking and choosing, do you think, Joel? Well, the Treasurer wants uh, us all to believe that uh, ProBuild are building a police station, for example, are going to use that to spy on, on our police. Well, that's just silly. It's also silly to say that constructing a building for a biotech firm is going to be a threat to our national security. Um, that's just a silly argument. Now, the main point I've been making is that Joel Fitzgibbon, Marcus Paul, or any one of your listeners knows whether the pro-build investment uh, was a threat to our national security because this is a secret and hidden process. Right. The Foreign Investment Review Board process and the tick-off from the Treasurer mm. uh, is done without the knowledge of the Parliament. Uh, no explanation is ever given as to why uh, something was knocked back other than just a general, oh, it wasn't in the national interest. And I'm proposing a parliamentary committee which in camera or in secret, behind closed doors, uh, grills the Foreign Investment Review Board, uh, asks questions of the Treasurer, so the Parliament, the, you know, the, the elected Parliament can run a ruler over these things to make sure that these decisions are, made, are being made for the right reasons, that is, in the national interest, and not in the interest of a, a particular political party or even a commercial interest. See, what we lack here, Marcus, when these bids get knocked back is a competitive auction. Um, so if you're one buyer and you're in Australia uh, and the government knocks out your international competitor, yep. uh, you benefit. But on the other side of the, co of the coin, the person selling the property, the asset, whatever it might be, uh, loses out because they're denied the higher bidder. So these are very commercially sensitive things, and the business community is uh, very attuned to them and is very concerned that behind closed doors, these strange decisions are being made now, and they don't appear all that rational or logical. All right, uh, just a couple of other things to get your uh, your thoughts on before I go to the news, Joel. Um, there's a fair bit of talk at the moment around uh, whether or not the outgoing President of the United States should have uh, been, uh, well, whether uh, social media giants should have taken away his platform on Twitter and Facebook, etc. What do you, uh, some say it's a, a blatant breach 
of freedom of speech. What do you say? No, I don't believe he, he should have been taken down off Twitter. I think particular tweets should, uh, if they're inappropriate uh, and offensive. But it's a slippery slope, isn't it, Marcus? Who becomes mm-hmm. the arbiter, uh, the policeman on these things? Where, 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 do you, where is the line between the person that should be banned and the person who should not be banned? Yeah. Where is that drawn? Uh, I think it's rather dangerous. I think it's, it's appropriate for the owner of the platform to take those decisions if they, if they choose to. But the last thing we want, Marcus, which is what's been suggested, is some regulator, some you know, government guy in a suit marching into a, an office in California somewhere yeah. saying you have to ban this user or you have to, to ban this tweet. That, to me, um, lacks common sense. Yep. Uh, and just quickly, um, the uh, the talk around whether or not the AstraZeneca uh, dosage uh, of COVID-19 vaccine is going to be effective enough to create herd immunity. There's some d- discussion around whether we should be looking elsewhere as well as getting this. Uh, we're going to get people, uh, I guess, on this vaccine sooner rather than later, or, or is the government dragging its feet on this? Well, there are a number of known unknowns here, Marcus. I, I think the key point here is that when the pandemic first hit, Scott Morrison framed it as a national security uh, yeah. issue and an economic issue because you know they are they are seen as the traditional strengths of the coalition. Uh, so then he established national cabinet so he could be out there leading the way and taking all the credit for good things done. Then he realised, of course, the path to success yeah. is, is harsh lockdowns and border closures and couldn't run from the action quickly enough. We don't see National Cabinet meet right. very often uh, anymore. I'll I- leave it there, Joel. Sorry, mate. I do have to go to the news. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Uh, just in case you missed that breaking news, a week out from Joe Biden's inauguration, US President Donald Trump has been impeached by the House of Representatives for a second time with several... Ten of them, in fact, Republicans crossing the floor to vote with the Democrats. The final resolution, 231 votes yay to 197 votes nay. So more than the required 218 members, of course, of the US House of Reps have voted in favour of impeaching President Donald Trump for inciting an insurrection against the US government around a week or so ago. He's the first president in US history to be impeached twice. Now, the decision of whether to remove Trump from office will be decided by a US Senate trial, but it's unclear how quickly that trial will get underway. Look, I think it's fair to say he will remain in office until the inauguration of Joe Biden in around about a week's time. Next, the New South Wales Police Minister David Elliott on the program. Marcus Paul in the morning. Okay, 21 minutes away from nine, away from eight in Queensland. Today will be a a very sombre day, a sad day for New South Wales Police. They lost one of their own less than a week or so ago. In fact, last Saturday, the highly regarded Senior Constable Kelly Foster. She passed away while trying to rescue a fellow canyoner from a whirlpool at Mount Wilson in the Blue Mountains. It's a day that I know... Uh, the police minister of New South Wales, David Elliott, has faced a numerous uh, on numerous occasions, and it wouldn't be one that he would look forward to. Good morning, Minister. How are you? 
Good morning, Marcus. Thanks for having me on the program again. Yeah, good morning to you and Happy New Year, mate. As I mentioned at the outset, quite a sad day for you and your members. Well, it is. Um, the police family uh, always has to face this uh, as a reality. It's, a, it's, it's Unfortunately, it's become part and parcel of doing the job, and that's why they have uh, such a... Uh, they put place such an important um, uh, title on things like Police Remembrance Day, but uh, yes. the police family will be getting together today in, in Lithgow uh, to, uh, to, to officially um, farewell uh, Kelly. She'll... Um, this will be a police funeral, and, and as, as it should be, and uh, we we expect that uh, uh, the community will obviously be um, showing its appreciation for a very very brave woman who not only beat breast cancer but then um, lost her life in the course of duty trying to save the life of another. Boy, oh boy! Yeah, look, so members of the public can attend, but not the church service. They can view a procession as it leaves the church. Uh, along Bridge Street there in Lithgow between Mort and Short Streets uh, and that will happen from around uh, 1 o'clock this afternoon. So family and friends of Senior Constable Kelly Foster of course uh, will be joined by his... Are you going today, David? Yeah, I will yeah. be. Um, Marcus, I'll be, I'll be leaving um, uh, my uh, my electorate at, uh, at about 10 I think and yeah. uh, making my way out there. I, I think it's important that the community does particularly out in the Blue Mountains or at Lithgow pay their respects Mm. Police funerals are, are, are steeped in tradition. I mean, these unfortunately are uh, occasions that have got, uh, you know, 200 years' worth of uh, tradition attached to them. And, uh, and it is, acknowledges the fact that, you know, police aren't just public servants in uniform like all of our other emergency services. When they put on that uniform, they, they've got obligations and, and they take those obligations very, very seriously. And, and tragically, we've seen what happens uh, when they do that. Yeah. All right, David, now your members have been extremely busy over the last couple of weeks. Um, now we had the, uh, uh, of course, the Christmas period, there were lockdowns on the northern beaches of Sydney, and we had New Year's Eve. Uh, I think, in general, people behaved themselves on New Year's Eve. Did I read that there were less than a dozen arrests? That's right, and, and they did, and we've got to pay tribute to not only the community, but, of course, the police, because I think um, they've been responsible to making sure the message is out there and, and highlighting the fact that these uh, these regulations aren't punitive. They're there to keep the community safe. I mean, the police don't like going around finding people for not wearing a mask or, uh, or, or, or charging people for breaches of the public health orders, but they have to do it because that's what the community has told the police to do. And, uh, and the fact that we are so far advanced compared to other uh, the jurisdictions both in Australia and, and around the world says to me that uh, we've got the mixture right, we've, we've, we've got the tone right, and, yeah. and I think we've got the messaging right. Unfortunately, there will always be um, sooks who think that, you know, wearing a mask is some sort of infringement on their civil rights. But I tell you, what, what's an infringement of my civil rights is if we have to go back into lockdown and I can't take the family out. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, and look, you've mentioned, and it's obvious that there is discretion being displayed by police officers, uh, and I've seen it. But I, but I've also, uh, David, in the last week or so, used a lot of public transport in New South Wales, and uh, I've seen police speaking to people without masks. Quite often, they'll put them straight on. Some have apologised. I mean, I carry one around with me all the time, and I must admit, I've accidentally walked into a shop. I did it yesterday and forgot straight away until. I I saw other people in masks. I've gone, oh, I better put this thing on. I mean, discretion will be used by officers. 
obviously. Well, that's right, and they have. They've used their discretion a lot, and the, and, and the charges or the fines that you've seen, which have normally been, been, been linked to, to other charges, are because people have either pushed the police or yeah. told the police off or, yeah. or completely disregarded them because they think that there's a, you know, this is some sort of you know, police state. Well, it's not. Mm. Um, I mean, as, I, as I've said time and time again, I mean, I, I'm sick of these sooks who seem to think that, you know, putting on a mask, a mask is either difficult or, uh, or an infringement. It's not. This is, you know, we're a nation of uh, soldiers. We're Anzacs. We're, you know, we, we every year we take <laughs> yep. on the blue, the, the, the All Blacks on the rugby pitch. The, you know, we built the Surrey Mountain Scheme. We're, I, I can't believe that there is an Australian 2021 who, who, who seems to think that uh, it's too difficult to wear a mask out in public. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got to become a habit. It has, and it's, and it's a massive change in our in our in our lifestyle in our culture but it's not one that's going to be around forever no, it's and it's not. certainly not one that's that's going to, you know that, that it's costing people uh, their lives the, the, the reality is that if you don't wear it you're probably going to cost a life it's not going to hurt you to put it on absolutely david good to chat with you um i'm sorry that it's going to be a difficult day uh, there in lithgow as we farewell one of your members but we will talk again soon thank you for your time right Thanks for having me, uh, Marcus. Happy New Year to you. You too, mate. There he is, David Elliott, the New South Wales Police Minister. All right. Good morning to you, Mick, there on the Gold Coast. Mick says, wow, Marcus, you just lost me with that biased Trump rant. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Regards, Mick on the Gold Coast. Well, Mick, I don't know whether you're still there or not. Mate, look, here's the tip. It's not an airport. You don't have to announce your bloody departure, okay? We don't care. Bring it. And Trump haters. Mm. And uh, we're going to get that this morning, I'm pretty sure. Well, absolutely. Bring it on. (laughs) Uh, Look, uh, yes. Diane, I'm sorry, sweetheart, but... You must be the only person out there who doesn't think that Donald Trump's been impeached twice. I um, mean, I've done a quick check. I had look, Diane contacted me saying, get it right. He hasn't been impeached twice. Well, unless seven, nine, <laughs> the telly, everybody else um, has marked it up. He has been impeached twice. And anyway... If you want to have your say on it, you can do that after 9 o'clock this morning. Tomorrow, though, Justin. Yes, a special day or day that um, was a bad day last year. But, yeah, um, this time last year. We... Grant, Grant Goldman sadly left this earth um, a yeah. year ago. I can't believe it's been a year. And tomorrow we'll be paying tribute. We'll have a few family members. We'll play some music he loved. And um, George Sitch will say hello, too. We're... George? Yeah. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that'll be tomorrow. It's been a year since we lost Grant Goldman. Of course, we broadcast here from the Grant Goldman studio. He's staring at us every day. He looks at us every morning. <laughs> he looks uh, down on us, and uh, quite often he'll play some tricks with some of the machinery in this. <laughs> um, although, I have to say, since we've moved into an updated, newer Grant Goldman studio, we've had less. He must like it. Well, yes. He must be going, God, I wish I worked here. Mm. But he's, he's working. He's always here. Oh, he's, <laughs> you know, he's up there being uh, well and truly uh, catching up with old mates and just enjoying yeah. himself. But anyway, tomorrow we'll pay tribute to, to the great late Grant Goldman here on uh, the breakfast program. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, that's almost it for the program today. I wanted to finish with uh, just a, 
a replay of a little laugh we had earlier this morning. Um, when I say the program, the breakfast portion of the program, we will be back after 9 o'clock covering the Laws Show until midday today. Let's have a little fun, though. Sir David Attenborough, <laughs> he's taken to social media like a duck to flying. No, that didn't quite make sense, did it? But anyway, you can't quite work it out. Poor David. Hello, fellow foodies. I'm David Attenborough, sharing with you this delicious meal, a celebration of Earth's bounty from a wonderful restaurant near the... You take the picture before you eat the food, David. Social media! I'm David Attenborough, sitting in my own garden. By pure chance, a miracle of nature is happening right in front of me. A butterfly about to emerge from chrysalis. And thanks to Instagram, I can share it with the... Why is this thing buzzing and flashing? Did you remember to charge your phone? No, I didn't remember to... I'm David Attenborough. (laughs) Lately, I've had a few social media fails. And I'm afraid I've used some rather uncouth language for which I apologise. From now on, I promise to laugh at these little failures like a grown man should. Oh, no one can see you unless you flip the camera. <laughs> Silly me. I've cocked it up again. Ah, there. Look, you can finally see me as I smash this stupid piece of... David Attenborough's Black and White Planet. And so the dark night continues with no sign of activity on the security camera in my back garden. Wait, it looks like possibly a cat or fox. No, it's nothing. Well, something f***ing happened! My elusive cell phone has found its way off the dinner table and is lost somewhere on the floor. Still, if we take care, there is still time to recover the phone without damage. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Paul, weekdays from 5am on 2SM. This is Marcus Paul filling in for John Laws on the Super Radio Network. Welcome to the program. Great to have your company around Australia. Our telephone number, 13 12 69 on the John Laws Morning Show. Lawsy will be back, um, we're told, the first week of February. Can't wait for it. Meanwhile, if you'd like to send us a text, 0458 049 209 is the text line. And, uh, well, emails directly through to the studio here, the Grant Goldman Studio out of 2SM Sydney. 
MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. That's MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. But let's talk Australia. Give me a call, 13 12 69. Let me know what's on your mind. Thursday morning, January 14, 2021, and the United States House of Representatives has finalised voting on the impeachment of Donald Trump. The House has voted in favour of impeaching the outgoing president, finding him guilty of, quote, incitement and insurrection, unquote, for his role in last week's Capitol riot, which saw, sadly, five people lose their lives. So Donald Trump is officially the first president in history to be impeached twice. Ten Republicans crossed the aisle to vote in favour of the impeachment, which is in stark contrast to the first impeachment trial in which all Republicans voted against impeaching Trump over his dealings with Ukraine. There are incredible images of the National Guard sleeping overnight in the US Capitol building while guarding the building from potential protesters. Republican Senate leader Mitch McConnell announced a Senate trial wouldn't be held until after the inauguration of President-elect Joe Biden, which will allow Mr Biden to get his administration up and running before dealing with the elephant in the room. That means that Trump will serve out the remaining days of his term. He's got about a week or so to go. Look, we can only hope that Donald Trump or anyone else in the Trump family, for that matter, doesn't try and run for the presidency in any future election. The damage that family has done to the United States is almost immeasurable. Back home and the Morrison government is scrambling to seek new vaccine deals after news yesterday that the AstraZeneca dose wasn't as effective as other candidates. Early signs show the AstraZeneca vaccine is roughly 60% effective, which isn't high enough to generate herd immunity. The problem we have here is that Australia has secured enough doses of that vaccine to immunise the entire population. However, the more effective Pfizer and Moderna vaccinations are closer to 95% effective at stopping the spread of the virus. Australia, as we know, has already secured 10 million doses of the Pfizer vaccine, which is enough to vaccinate 5 million people because individuals have to receive the jab twice. Now, the government is in contact with Pfizer to get more doses up and running, but says they're at a loggerhead with Moderna. The chief medical officer, Paul Kelly, says negotiations are ongoing. He also said, mind you, that the AstraZeneca dose might not be as effective It's completely safe, though, and likely will reduce the deadly symptoms of coronavirus in those who do fall ill. 
All right, in Queensland, and an urgent warning has been issued for the Hotel Grand Chancellor, which is being used as a quarantine hotel. Six cases of the highly contagious UK strain of the virus has been traced to that location. Police in Sydney have launched a critical investigation after two teenagers jumped from a cliff in the city's inner west. Officers noticed a motorcycle which had been reported as stolen driving through Glebe alongside another motorcycle. When they pulled both the bikes over, the two riders fled and jumped a fence which barricaded a cliff. Now, one 17-year-old boy received serious injuries and the other 17-year-old boy suffered minor injuries. They are both currently in hospital and a police investigation is underway into that. All right, in sports, in the cricket, there are fears for the mental health of Steve Smith, who's been accused of cheating in the third test against India. Now, Cricket Australia needs to step in here. Someone needs to, you know, use the old saying that we're asked to use so much these days, unfortunately, is, you know, are you OK? You're all right, mate? As we head into the fourth and final test tomorrow, Australia is also dealing with the loss of James Patterson due to an injury. It's expected Michael Nassar will replace Pattinson in what will be his test debut. Meanwhile, in the BBL, the Sydney Sixers remain at top of the ladder after defeating the Sydney Thunder overnight. And in tennis, Alex Dominguez has won his fourth ATP singles title after defeating Kazakhstan, Alexander Bublik. Bublik had to retire early due to an ankle injury. Uh, Dominguez was leading two love at the time. All this, of course, as the first uh, number of contestants... uh, and tennis stars arrive in Melbourne to go into a lockdown bubble scenario ahead of the Australian Open. All right, that's just a little bit of the news buzzing around. There's plenty of other stories. We'll get to some of them during the course of the program. But importantly, we'd love to hear from you this morning. What I'm going to do is just take a break. When we come back... From 2SM Super Network's Talking Sport program, I want to have a chat with Gav Robinson. Uh, Now, Gav Robinson, of course, is a former uh, test star, former New South Welshman uh, who's represented his state and his country. Uh, Gav will have a little to say on the fourth test that starts tomorrow at the Gabba. But importantly, too, I want to talk to Robbo about the situation with Steve Smith and in particular... The allegations being bandied around by the Indians about the fact that, look, us spectators here in Sydney are racist. I don't buy it. I really don't buy it. And it's a shame that it's got to this point. Anyway, we'll talk to Gavin Robertson in just a couple of moments. The John Laws Morning Show with Marcus Paul. Lawsy will be back first week in Feb. Look, one of the things we're proud of here at the Super Radio Network is our talking sport program. Uh, I like to think of it as a sports program that deals with sport without the yahooing, the backslapping, and, you know, the, the banter that goes on elsewhere between mates and that ridiculous laughter you hear all the time. I like the fact that the boys actually talk sport. 
Anyway, one of the stars of our Talking Sport program, he'll probably hate me using that word, is Gavin Robertson. Robbo, happy uh, New Year to you, mate. Happy New Year to you, mate. I hope you're well and uh, hope all your listeners are starting 2021 with a positive outlook and let's see how we go. Yep, absolutely, mate. Now, speaking of a positive outlook, there are some slight concerns around Steve Smith and his mental health. Uh, Does somebody from Cricket Australia need to pull him aside and just check on him? Oh, look, in these current times or the way the world is heading, yeah, they will, I'm sure. Um, I often wonder, would it be worthwhile for a person in this situation speak to somebody else who has been in those situations. And, you know, there's numerous people you can go to um, that have had problems. Uh, these types of problems come up. And so what, what's the advice on how to attack those problems, how to feel about them and, and, and how to actually solve them? And if, I, if, if it was me, I would just say, look, you might feel that I've done the wrong thing. All that I've done is I've gone to war it's just a habit of mine and you know what it's actually something yeah, I probably should not be doing it whilst I'm in the field but it has just become this big habit and yeah I'm a, I'll apologise but there is no way I am trying to cheat so can we just get that on board and now I'm going to move on and I think yep. if the individual can show that um, the rest can follow Absolutely uh, I mean I was one of those who were a little critical I, I don't in my opinion, I mean, you know far more about cricket than I do, uh, Robbo, but in my opinion, if you're a fielding, uh, you know, if you, even if you are a batsman, like Steve Smith is, if you're in the field, stay away from the batsman's crease uh, until it's your turn to bat. I know he does, he has his quirks, he does what he, uh, you know, what he does, um, but as far as I'm concerned, uh, when, when the, the team that's batting, is there at the crease, that's their domain, uh, and, you know, you should steer clear of it just in case. Uh, look, Tim Payne, what did you make of uh, all of the argy-bargy the other day with a couple of Indians? He obviously has apologised for a couple of words caught on Stump Mike. I, I don't mind uh, the occasional banter, but you need to be able to back it up. And unfortunately for Timmy Payne, he was found uh, looking a little like a goose because he was having a crack at the batsman and, and dropping, what, three or four important catches at the same time. Oh, look, I think that it's more about how they've been brought up. I don't think they understand how to... Um, the word sledging is a broadband word, it, but realistically, and I'm not sitting here saying we didn't because we did, but what we would do, and if I was Tim Payne, I would question... I would question the Indian batsman on pay. I would say, look, I would talk to him about how good a player he is. And I'd also say, imagine the pressure that you're under. Imagine being, you know, Ravi Ashwin or Bahari. And, and guys, you have to, you know, you've got 1.3 billion people on your back here hoping you do well today. Geez, I tell you what, I'm so lucky I live in Australia. Yeah. I, I don't have that. I've only got 25 billion and that's nowhere near the pressure you must have to live under. Like, just, you've got to question people. You question them in, in other ways. You can say, what a player. You, you must have been the best player at high school. We're seeing it now. Yeah. Everyone, you know, you, there's other ways of getting into a batsman's head. But when you get short, changed and tempered and you're, I call it cheap buggery, where it's just, you're, you're getting abusive. You're going down the road, which is a waste of 
time. Well, absolutely. Um, and it, there's probably no place for it. It looks a little ugly and it gives ammunition, obviously, to those that would like to bring the Australian cricket team down. Well, Marcus, you just said ammunition. You know what it does. Yeah. You, you say to an Indian person, you know, you're hopeless, you're no good, you're this, this and that. They will, they'll walk to the end of the road to prove you wrong. Yep. And, and they'll bat better and play better. But if you're nice to them, um, you watch them against England. Watch them go up a gear when England sort of pretend that, hey, we used to run your country, we own you. Yeah. You watch India yeah. play then. But when you're nice to them, they're the nicest people and they just, they, they meander and they can fail quite easily. So don't try and annoy them. Just play against them and, and ask them questions about their life and there's other ways of doing it. Absolutely. All right, mate, now we're off to the Gabba, uh, the deciding test. It'll be a wonderful spectacle up there. Um, how do you think we're going to go? What's at play here? Oh, Marcus, how can we not have victory? How can we not win the Series 2-1 when we're up against the side that has lost basically six to seven of its best players? Well, true. Injury and, they're, and they're not coming back, and they lost for Rat Coley, but the continuance of great players going out with injury is, I can't believe it. I can't think of a time um, when this has happened. And I was asking some mates uh, a couple of days ago. I ran into some old mates. And I said, you know, have you ever seen, can you name me a side that's come to Australia with this amount of injuries throughout a test series? And nobody could name anyone. So I don't know how India are still one all. That's the first part. Yet who are they going to bring in? They've just lost Boomer now. And I think he's easily in the top three bowlers in the world today. So, you know, how, how can they cope? And the only way they can with 1.3 billion is they have so much more stock than any other nation. So yeah. they may bring someone over or find someone to get the job done. All right, mate. Great to chat. Uh, when are you back? You've been on uh, leave at... Next, uh, yep. Yeah, next Monday, mate. So looking forward to it. I'll just, uh, I'm being a grandfather this week. I'm, you know, my granddaughter, but... Um, Lovely. I'm looking forward to getting... I miss... I tweeted about New Year's and the break you actually missed the call, so I'm looking forward to getting back. All right, mate. How many years now for you on Talking we're Sport? Hit, uh, we're hitting our 18th year, so... Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty good, and we get to uh, look after there, James and Justin and the boys, Justy and Benny, and we'll keep doing our best. But, uh, you take care, mate. I uh, generally wake up to you most mornings, mate, so enjoying. All right, buddy. Talk soon. There you go, Gavin Robertson. Uh, now, he's a, uh, a member of our Talking Sport um, program. It airs each and every day on the Super Radio Network from 3 o'clock New South Wales Daylight Saving Time. And like I say, it's great to have a program that actually talks sport rather than, you know, backslapping and yahooing and laughing and carrying on. Anyway, Robbo is back next week, but uh, Graham Hughes and Peter Tunks back again this afternoon. Marcus Paul has Sydney talking. Talking, talking, talking. All the news and the views. Marcus Ball, weekday mornings from 5am on 2SM. All right, welcome back to the program. Google has confirmed it's burying links from traditional media outlets in some of its search results, escalating an ongoing spat between publishers and the tech giant. Now, the company told the Australian newspaper in a statement that the move was part of a, quote, short-term experiment, unquote. Okay. Oh, I don't know. These... 
These corporations, Google, uh, Facebook, yes, they are privately owned, but I think we're heading down a very dangerous path when they can start, I don't know, siphoning different news and views from their platforms. It's a worry, I think. It means that for some users, news stories from commercial media outlets are being hidden by the company's algorithms. Apparently, they experiment like this a number of times a year. Well, I would like to ask Google whether they experiment on these sorts of issues around election times, which I think they actually do. Now, we brought you uh, the information on this yesterday, but I've had a bit more of a think about it, and I've got some more details on super. Now, workers would be given the choice between locking in a higher super rate or taking home more pay under a controversial proposal handed to the federal government for consideration. Now, it's very important for me to mention that this isn't before Parliament at all right now, but it is certainly, uh, my understanding, being seriously considered. As the government debates if it should continue with a legislated incremental rise in the super guaranteed at 12% of wages by 2025 from the current 9.5%, Some economists have suggested giving employees the choice instead. Now, we know that business groups certainly are dead set against a massive increase to 12%. Now, obviously, COVID-19, look, in my opinion, COVID-19 and the global recession because of the pandemic will mean this will never happen anyway. But former senior Treasury official Mike Callaghan has raised the possibility of an opt-in system for workers to choose between more super or take-home pay as a part of a broad retirement income review released last year. Now, the proposal was also backed by the Australian Council of Social Service, but the government has not made any decision yet. With several coalition backbenchers pushing to scrap the super increase entirely, Government frontbencher Susan Lee confirmed yesterday the party would consider the compromise among a range of options. It's certainly a discussion that members of the government will have as they go forward. That's what she's confirmed. Now, the industry super Australia, so this is what the industry is saying, is that the proposal would effectively force Australians to dip into their future savings to fund their own pay rises leaving the average 30-year-old couple $200,000 worse off in retirement. Labor's financial services spokesman, Stephen Jones, described the proposal as, quote, a pretty sneaky backdoor tax increase, unquote. (laughs) Well, what do you make of it all? Let me know. 13 12 69, the telephone number. Leonie, are you there? Yes, good morning, Marcus. Morning, Leonie. Yeah, look, with with all the news about the US presidents, I just have four short quotes from the past. Um, I just wanted to to say first that was a good interview with Malcolm Roberts this morning. Thank you. Yeah, he's uh, really on the ball. It was interesting too, wasn't it, that he said Taiwan's the same size as Australia. They've had no lockdowns 
only seven deaths and business isn't suffering. Mm. And also he mentioned about Twitter and Facebook doing the same wrong thing in the Ugandan election. Well, that's right, and it's interesting. And even with uh, Google at the moment, you have to wonder why they're doing this experiment, if you like, of blocking out certain news around election times. Yes, yeah, it's very right. tough. But now these four uh, quotes. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, My concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. George Washington said... If freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. He also said, it's impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. And the last one from the Bible itself, he who has the Son, that's Jesus, has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. 1 John 5.12. And I think you can't go any higher in authority than that or greater love. All right, thank you, Leonie. Appreciate it. What did Donald Trump have to say in relation to God? I wonder. Anthony, good morning. How are you? Anthony, are you there? Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah, your, your phone system's there, a bit wonky down there. I couldn't hear anything from that last call. I had the phone on. But anyway, I can hear you now, okay? Excellent, Anthony. What did you want to say? Uh, you were talking about superannuation this morning yep. and uh, proposed changes and what have you. Yep. I think it's... It's a very dangerous, slippery slope to bloody give people the option of um, either um, put money into their super or just more take-home pay. Um, I don't think, and I would have been. I was the same when I was in my twenties, even in my early thirties. That you know, goddamn, you know, retirement's a long, long way away. I don't need to be worried about that now. But yeah, but I was glad I was in a job where I wasn't forced to put super in, but was sort of strongly encouraged and. Um, now I'm in my late 50s, I'm sort of, I wouldn't say reaping the benefits, but yeah, I'm sort of comfortable because I know I've got a good nest egg of super. But Yeah. Look, what do you make of uh, the increase? I can't see it happening to 12% by 2025. I just honestly can't see the business community allowing it. I mean, it's been very, very tough in the last 12 months for obvious reasons. And for that, I can't see how. Look, and in particular, in places like New South Wales, uh, even though we've had JobKeeper and JobSeeker support, many businesses, um, the media industry in particular, the one I'm working in and others, have suffered from, you know, a reduced amount of revenue coming through the door. So, uh, But, you know, the payroll tax still continues and other yeah. taxes. So, uh, you know, increasing it up by, well, certainly uh, by, what, up to 12%, so 3% overall or 2.5% by 2025, I think, is probably very optimistic. Yeah, I think it's, it will be too much of a burden to put on business in the current conditions there. I think, I think the government needs to look at you know, probably just keeping the, the super rate of what it is now for the, for the foreseeable future and maybe look at it again in maybe, I don't know, five years or something. But Or even find a compromise within a couple of years, even yeah, up to right, 10% but, yeah. perhaps, a half a percentage increase. Uh, that might, uh, I mean, obviously <laughs> business would pr- prefer that there's no increase, but if we're looking for a compromise, maybe that magic number of 10% might be appropriate. All right, Scotty, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you for the call. Scotty, are you there, mate? Yes, mate. Hello. How are you? Yeah, all right, Marcus. How you going? Good, thank you. What's on your mind? Uh, mate, I've got a bit of a gripe today. I've never first time caller. I've never really had a had an issue, but I thought I'd give you give you a call. You might be able to fix it. Maybe 
don't know. But um, I'm here to listen. I'm here to yeah, listen, I'll, Scott. Right, I'll give you. I'll give you the details. I'll, I'll try and try not hold it up too much. But I've got a Holden, Colorado, few years old, still under warranty. Um, recently blew up the uh, electronic steering controller or whatever they call it. Mm. Um, um, parts in America, you know, Holden have shut down over the um, past few months. Right. Um, uh, they tell me uh, there's 23 on order. Uh, they don't have a date on when they can get a new one. And uh, they, so the, the local dealership has said, yeah, not a problem. Uh, just ring Holden Care and they'll be able to sort you out. So ring Holden Care and they say, uh, yep, yep, go and get a hire car, which I went and priced for a little, um, so another work car. Right. A uh, little, little single cab Hilux, $890 a week through a, through a local um, uh, car, yeah. Uh, 50, Eight, hang on, eight hundred and ninety dollars a week for a, a, a single cab you single, single cab Hilux, mate. Eight hundred and ninety dollars a week. But if you get it for a month, you get it cheaper. You get it about seven hundred and eighty dollars a week. All right. So, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, I was, that was a bit extravagant in the first place. But anyway, but who's um, who's supposed would... to pay for that? You're not. Uh, are well, you supposed... me. Look, this, this is this is the thing, mate. Me at the start of it. Then then when I finally get my car back, which possibly could be. Uh, yeah, months away. I just spoke to them this morning on the mm. phone. Uh, they've got 23 controllers on order, but Holden have no idea when they're going to get a new controller. And so they want me to fork out the money, which the car isn't still under warranty, but the, the controller's getting covered under warranty. Uh, and they want me to fork out the money first. Then when I put the claim in, they may or may not reimburse me. No, that's so, not right. Uh, I this, know it's not right. No, that's ridiculous. What they should do is the dealer that you bought, is it still fairly new? Yes, mate, yeah. yeah. What they should yes, do please. is the, the bloody dealer that you bought the car from, they should give you another vehicle until the one that you've got, which is under warranty, is repaired. Yes, I agree. And the dealership have been pretty good about it, uh, but but it's out of there. They don't do that anymore. So once... So once uh, your, your car breaks, then Holden Care look after it. And so Holden Care are possibly the worst mob I've ever had to deal with on, uh, yeah, apart from ringing our telco companies. Where um, are they? Where are Holden Care base, mate? Uh, I heard now, mate. Heard now, but, um, yeah, yeah, probably Sydney. I'm talking to the bloke in Sydney who's relatively hard to understand. Um, and are they yeah, telling but, you that the parts that you require for your vehicle, which is under warranty, how much, by the way, did you did you spend? I would imagine this is a fairly pricey um, yeah. four wheel drive. How much? Yeah. yeah. Oh well, I, you know, I got a canopy and all the all, all the all the uh, madness on it for a work vehicle, so I paid sixty two thousand dollars for it. Yep. Uh, yeah. So um, it's the dealership telling me that the parts. Um, not available. So they've been good. They've been good through the whole process. It's Holden Care who aren't come to the party. They're saying go and get the go and get a high car. Yep, no worries. And then when when you get your car back, send us the invoice for uh, for the high car, and we then will we then we will assess your claim and may or may not. No, that's rubbish. Uh, I know, mate. I know this is garbage. Holden Care, uh, if they can't provide you with... I mean, look, I can understand maybe you might have to wait a week. I get that. Uh, I mean... That, I think... uh, mate, I dropped, it's, been, it's been a month. Yes. Uh, it, was, it, was, it started December, the car, the car broke, mm. uh, and I've had it 
uh, in at the local dealership since then. Yeah. Uh, they And they're trying to trace down the parts, obviously, um, from GM in America now, which you can imagine how difficult that is. You send them a, you send them an email and you don't get a response the next day because they're in bed. Hmm. So it's... It's, um, anyway, this is starting to really annoy me, and I just wanted to... No, just and I appreciate you letting us know. <laughs> Look, anybody else out there that may have an issue like yours, give us a call, 13 12 69. Um, look, Scott, I don't know. Maybe, um, maybe the dealer can la- loan you a car. I don't know. No, yeah, they can't. That's the thing. It's not, it's not, it's not up to them anymore. It's, it, mm. just, it just falls under the jurisdiction of um, Holden Care. Um, right. Well, you're not getting what you paid for. Sixty-two thousand dollars is a hell of a lot of money to buy. Uh, is it for work? Is it? Yeah, work car, mate. Yeah. What do you What do you do? Electrician. All right, you're a Sparky, and you yep, need and correct. you need a, uh, a Ute to yep, travel I'm to and from. My, yep. Borrowing my old man's truck at the moment. Yeah, so he's he, he's he's without a vehicle. Yeah, well, it, that doesn't matter. Beside the point. <laughs> If you pay $62,000 for a vehicle uh, and you ha- it's under warranty, no doubt, you know, Correct. there's an extra cost that you paid um, for the yep. warranty. How old of, How old is it again, did you say? 2017, late 17. All right. So, I mean, this yeah. thing is just a few years old. Yep. Correct. Yeah. Correct. All right. Well, we'll uh, look into Holden Care and find out what's Holden going Care, on. Holden Care, mate. Yeah. Yep. All yep, right, I'm mate. Good. Okay, buddy. Thank you. Uh, Darren, are you there, mate? Yeah, g'day, Marcus. How are you this morning? All right. Now, you wanted to comment on Scott's call. Yeah, we had a, we had a, one of the blokes at work, a similar situation. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't know what insurance company that gentleman's with, but he was with, our bloke was with Yui, and because he, his car was registered as business, mm. and uh, he had a, a clause in his where he got mechanical breakdown. So they supplied him with a rental car after the first seven days. Okay. All because right. Because he needs it for work. It's seemed to be a work vehicle. Yeah, well, I, I should have probably asked Scott uh, what I didn't even think to, to be honest. Um, you know, what sort of insurance he had. No doubt, he, I'm sure he has insurance, but maybe his insurer doesn't provide. I mean, that's a really good policy to have, considering a, a lot of a lot of the insurance companies have mechanical breakdown factors in their thing. So that's yeah. seemed to be a mechanical breakdown, and also in the wording of the insurance policy from the uh, from he was with Huey. Yeah. He says that he's uh, unable to use his vehicle for the intended purpose, what it was bought for. Yep. Well, look, $62,000 for a car uh, under warranty less than, what, three and a bit years old, and you can't get parts for, what, months? Well, that's this not good all- enough from Holden. Marcus, yeah. this, this was always going to be the fear I had when Holden closed down. They guaranteed everyone there'd be three years' worth of parts when the uh, dealership started you know, when Holden moved out of here, but that's that's not the case at all because I've even had a, a family friend that's got a Holden cruise, had to wait three weeks for a you know, a twenty five dollar part. So but anyway, if that guy if you still got that guy's number or he rings back or listen to this, yeah get him to check his insurance policy. All right, well, that's some great advice, Darren. Thank you so much for, for ringing straight up on that. We really appreciate it, and I'm sure Scotty does as well. Thanks, mate. And go Parramatta this year, okay? Go the Eels. Yeah, I was enjoy- I was enjoying the phone call to. No, I'm kidding, mate. Well, hey, I- Marcus, I- Marcus, one one more quick thing, okay? Yes. I bought Ricky Stewart a uh, Christmas present. I bought him the biggest excuse book in the world. See what excuse he comes up with this year, okay? Hmm.
See you, Marcus. Good Bye. on you, Daz. See you, buddy. Bye. Have a good day. And thank you for your call. Uh, what? Don't poke the bear, mate. Don't poke the bear, Darren. Don't be, be picking on my Ricky, my Raiders. Okay, thirteen, twelve, sixty-nine. That's the that's what's great about the open line. People can respond straight away. And Scott, if you are listening, mate, um, it'd be uh, maybe if you get time, give us a call back. Let us know what the situation is with your insurance, because obviously, um, Darren's let us know there that a mate that was in the same boat has been able to get a vehicle after seven days because it's covered in his insurance policy. Get in contact with Marcus anytime. Email us, MP in the morning at 2SMSupernetwork.com. All right, plenty of people on the open line now wanting to have their say. Uh, be patient with me. I'll try and get to as many as I can today, but already very busy. Hello, Steve. How are you? Oh, good day, Marcus. How are you doing? Okay, mate. Uh, look, I'm up in Queensland and I've been listening to Lawsy Show since 1983. Um, my wife was driving from Queensland through to Victoria recently and she got um, just going through Narrow but I just received a fine in the mail for $350 or something and five points for talking Ooh. on her phone or touching her phone. Yeah. Now, she's got a 2014 Mazda and so she doesn't need to touch her phone. It's all hands-free. Uh, and she doesn't even need to read text. They just come up on the screen. But, you know, she's been always one of these people that advocates not to talk on your phone when you're driving. Yeah. So the deal is, you know, the keys are remote as well. You, the keys only have to be in your handbag in the car. That's right. Operate like the car and the phone goes in the handbag on the seat or on the floor or whatever. Yep. Now, no photographic evidence has come with this. And we get a $350 fine and five points. I, I just can't believe it. All right, but uh, she can contest it in court. Now, I know that might be a burden, but look, what uh, has your wife got a good driving record? Yeah, yep. Mm. Because I've been told by people, if you if you opt in, uh, look, here's what my suggestion would be. In okay. this scenario, uh, and given that uh, your wife's car is uh, remoteless and, uh, you know, and effectively yep. um, she yep. doesn't need to touch her phone, I would draft a letter. I would send it off. I would send it with the uh, with the fine, with the tick, suggesting that you want to contest it in court. I would yep. send a, a letter off, so an affidavit, if you like, have a justice yep. of the peace sign it. Yep. Saying uh, and basically going into detail about how good a record that your wife has on the road, the fact yep. that never the, been never been caught talking on the phone. That's for sure. Yeah, so. and the fact that the uh, the car has a system whereby she doesn't need to touch the phone. Uh, yep. Also, I would request in that affidavit a copy of the photograph that was taken. Yep. And yep. look, my understanding would be that one of two things would happen. You'd receive a court summons. More likely, I would suggest you'd receive a uh, a note saying that the fine has been dismissed. Okay. I know because a couple of people have done that who've been in the very same situation as your wife. Okay. Yep. So that's my look. I'm certainly I'm not a legal expert, and by all yeah. means. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that uh, your wife doesn't seek some legal advice, but that's what I've been told by somebody with legal expertise in this matter. Okay. Uh, that's what they suggest. They suggest uh, well, that uh, you request 
the uh, the photograph in an affidavit if you have a good driving record to yep. uh, put it all in writing, put in writing uh, and provide evidence that the car, phone, doesn't need to be touched, etc., etc. And yep. look, I, I know that they weigh it up. They absolutely do. Okay. Well, you know what the, 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 the other point of it is? Yeah. Uh, I was talking just talking to my tradesmen about it. You know, there's some there's single mums out there or whatever that can't afford a $350 fine and then, and probably wouldn't contest it and then have to struggle to pay these fines when, when, and when and, you know, they mightn't have done the wrong thing as well. Well, that's so, it, yeah, yes. You know what I mean? No, some I agree. Some battler out there who can't afford the fine and it's just, um, it's, it's not right. So. Well, I think they should provide um, actual evidence. You know, yeah, there should be a photograph. Evidence. Well, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the I, photographic evidence will show probably show a photo through the windscreen of her touching the volume on her stereo system. Or well, I guess I don't know. And see, that's the issue. Um, there, yeah. there are concerns that you know, unfortunately, um, some people might be being trapped in. Look, I don't want to suggest that there's dodginess going on, but yeah you know I mean at I know the end what of you're the day, alluding to yeah yeah yep. at the end of the day, if you are going to cop a three hundred and fifty dollar fine and lose five points on your license and you are absolutely adamant that you were not on your phone, you didn't yep. touch the phone, you have a you know a wireless system or Bluetooth or whatever it is yep. you use in your car, then I'd yep. fight the damn thing absolutely mate. Yep. All right, thanks, Marcus. I appreciate it. All right, Steve. Great call. Appreciate it, mate. All, all the best. Thirteen twelve sixty nine. The telephone number. Steve uh, is on the line in relation to that. Um, let's just go there. Line eight, I think it is. Steve, you there, mate? G'day, Marcus. How are you? All right, Steve. What's on your mind, buddy? Yes, uh, just in relation to the other Steve who rang about his wife getting the uh, ticket for the telephone offence. Yeah, I've got a fair, fair bit of experience in this, and I can tell you that. Uh, but he's got to make a decision. If he wants to make as uh, make aspects in a in a communication regarding her um, her um, antecedents, her record, yep. um, you, you then can't plead not guilty because it's a bit, bit of an each way bet. Yep. Um, if, if if she didn't do it, she's better off going pleading not guilty because they've still got to prove it beyond all. Out. The legislation very murky, hmm. as is the uh, court proceedings, and uh, I think that she'd be able to. Oh, that phone line has uh, dropped out, mate. But look, I get the point you're trying to make. Uh, you're right. Look, again, I'm not not a legal expert, uh, but that's some advice that I'd been given when because uh, I knew I'd get a lot of phone calls in relation to this uh, from a, a lawyer who deals with traffic matters, and he suggests well what I mentioned earlier. But by all means, uh, as I try and be as responsible as I possibly can, everybody has different circumstances, and what you do need to do if you find yourself in this situation is seek your own independent legal advice. Marcus Paul filling in for John Laws. Call 13 12 69. All right, and we've got stacks of emails coming through as well. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com and a full board of calls. Lots of people wanting to talk about uh, Scott's call that we took just prior to the news in relation to his wife receiving a phone, a fine in the mail uh, about a, um, a detection of her using her mobile. Now, Scott tells us that his wife, with a pretty decent driving record, doesn't actually need to touch her phone in the car. Everything is automatic, Bluetooth in the works. Anyway, 
Plenty of people wanting to have their say on that. So let's get back to your calls, 13 12 69, and some emails on it as well, which I'll get to in just a moment or two. Uh, right now, though, uh, regarding Scott's call, Ken's there. Hello, Ken. How are you, mate? Oh, not bad. Not bad, Marcus. How are you? Good morning. Good morning, buddy. Yeah, I've got a good story for you. Um, it was about a year ago. Um, mm. I got a penalty notice from Revenue in the mail. Um, yep. I live in Lake Macquarie. The penalty notice was regarding going through a um, red arrow um, down in the intersection which comes off Abbott Road in off the M2 in Sydney there. Yep. And um, I thought, well, I'll have a look at the... Um, that's, that's strange. I've never had one before. I'll have a look at the pictures which we can download uh, on the computer. And I looked at that, and then I noticed that um, it wasn't just me. There was two other vehicles involved. So we've got um, three vehicles making, or three drivers making the same mistake, going through a, a red arrow, a turn right arrow. Yep. I thought, gee, this is, that's, you know, that's beyond, that's hard to believe. Then I started to look at the fine print above the pictures, and the time factor was 28.3 seconds after the arrow turned red. Now this is a four-way, <laughs> this is a four-way intersection. Yes. At, at 12:30 p.m. on a Tuesday, a weekday, and this was before the coronavirus, and so there was plenty of traffic around. And um, I, I, I thought, well, I'll, you know, I, I don't believe this, so I pleaded not guilty. Now right. I had, I had to travel four times from Lake Macquarie to Blacktown Court to mm. plead not guilty. Yep. Now, I actually asked for to see the video, so I had to go to the head office in Parramatta, which is a 12-storey building. Goodness me. And yep. the, RMS, the RMS rents out, obviously, every floor and every office in that building. The cost must be enormous. Mm. So the fine was initially about 480 dollars, you know, and... Um, so where they get you is that you you cannot afford to. T- um, unfortunately, um, I travelled down four times, but you know most people have got to go to work, so they can't take four days off work, you know, to defend a, a you know a four or five hundred dollar fine. So they just pay the fine. For a lot of people, though, it's not necessarily about the amount of the fine; it's the amount of points they lose, and it places their license at risk, and that's what a major problem is. Well, I'll tell you this story. Um, I asked to see the video as well, which the the video only shows like about two or three seconds of the vehicles going through the intersection. It doesn't show what happened. My point is, if you've got on a major road, um, and I I went down there, I took pictures at this intersection a number of times after, Hmm. and it's, it's beyond all probability that three vehicles... When uh, travelling at 60 kilometres an hour, they're already 450 metres or 500 metres from the intersection when, when the light turns red, regardless of whether it's a red light or a red arrow. Now, that means there would be no other vehicles at 12.30pm on this major road between your vehicle and the red light, or, or they have to go through the red light as well. Or what happens when I proved it, I went down there and, and I took photos of what happens approximately half a minute after, you can't get through because this car's already there. Yeah, so what and was the outcome of it, mate? If you don't, I don't mean to well, hurry you up, but... The outcome, is, the outcome was this. The Act says that once they check the cameras, they cannot be wrong. The magistrate cannot give you, uphold a not guilty plea. But 
you know, it's it, it's beyond all probability, and 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 my argument was shot down. But um, who they say once they check the cameras? Well, when I went to uh, this is a story. When I went to ask about the video, I asked the chap how how often you check the cameras. They said three months. I said, what about in this particular case? He said one month. I said, what happens when you find out when you get it wrong? When there's something wrong? He says, oh, we notify the people. And I presume, well, you notify the people that, that you've got it wrong. So, therefore, people have paid the fines, they've lost their demerit points, and possibly they've lost their licence. And then he added, which was a shock to me, he said, but we're not sure we get all of them. So, <laughs> I mean, this is, a, this, is, this is a disgraceful thing, you know? Well, it is. Well, so you could have people out there wrongly convicted, they've incorrectly paid a fine, They've lost demerit points, and if if they've lost, like if they're on the limit and they go over their demerit points, they've lost the license. They've lost their license through a mistake of uh, the cameras. Yep. Yeah. Uh, look, it's not a. It's an imperfect system, but unfortunately, it plays with people's lives. All right. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it, Ken. Have a wonderful day. Let's move on to Ron. Good morning to you, Ron. Good morning. How are you? All right. Thank you, Ronnie. What's on your mind? Well, I've, I've got a bit of a problem. My, um, you, you sort of um, spoke yesterday about a certain thing that sort of came up out of the blue, and it's uh, uh, unfortunately uh, I had a bit of an accident after I've, I've had another fall, and uh, I've got to go back and see a, a nurse, and because um, I'm on level one, what they call level one, it could be, means I might be on level two, but if I get to the point where I can't, um, I can't support myself anymore, it. Uh, I'm afraid that uh, I may have to go into a nursing home. And uh, after you, the re- your report about uh, like 2,000, what, 4,034 assaults and rapes in a nursing home, uh, uh, it scares the hell out of me, to be honest with you. Well, I didn't uh, mean I've to. I've been married 55 yeah. years, and yeah. all these things have been happening. It's building up. My, my wife, it's, it's not, not fair, my wife, because she's a champion bowler, and... Um, and, and it's making it very hard for her. So it's sort of all come. It's all sort of come to a head. Um, we've got to do something about this. Uh, these uh, these hospitals and what goes on because being on a long time. Well, it and, has. Uh, this, it has. This government's been there nearly three terms now, and they haven't done a damn thing. Uh, really, uh, they started this commission during the, uh, the elections. Yep. Um, you've come out the report now. I believe it's been put up again now for the final one till uh, March this year. Yep. Well, March this is for this year. So um, I can't believe we're one of the richest countries in the world, and we don't look up. We've got no respect for our elderly people. I mean, we go on about Asia and China and all that type of thing. At least they have respect for their elderly elderly people. They look after them. We don't. Well, it's, it's ingrained in them. It's ingrained in them. And also, Ronnie, uh, look, we did have uh, a number of very, very positive phone calls on the program yesterday in relation to good nursing homes. So let's be honest, the aged care sector, even though it has its problems, it's not all doom and gloom. So I didn't want to alarm anybody, but obviously um, it was a story that was brought to my attention. It, but sadly, it didn't receive the kind of attention I expected that it would. I didn't read too much about it anywhere, unfortunately. And I'm glad we've covered it on this program. But, Ron, you look after yourself, mate. I know how difficult it can be, particularly with 
um, aged people having falls. You just need to try and be as careful as you possibly can. Australia's only contemporary news talk radio program. All the news and your views. Marcus Paul in the morning. Lindsay, good morning. How are you, Lindsay? Good morning, Marcus. How are you, Lindsay? I'm good, thank you. You took a call yesterday. Yep. This guy called about EYE care. Eye care, yes. Yes, and he, and he said he was legally blind. Yep. And he went to eye care. I don't know, hopefully it's in New South Wales, because that's where I live in. I live in New South Wales. And um, hopefully you can tell me where he called from, because I want to try the same place, because I'm legally blind as well. Right, okay. Um I can't remember the name of the caller yesterday. We'll have to go back. Uh, I'll get one of the uh, the team from the Laws Program to go back and have a look for you, Lindsay, and maybe we'll recall who that person is. If you wouldn't mind just holding on, Lindsay, we'll get the uh, uh, the details. We'll just get your phone number first so that we've got a contact number. So uh, one of you boys out there, can we get Lindsay's details, please, so we can let him know? Uh, maybe we'll need to go back on the log to find out exactly who we were speaking to yesterday about EYE care, uh, about a man who was legally blind but got the help that he needed. Uh, it's a very important thing. Your eyesight, boy, oh boy. I mean, even these days, I'm look, I'm late 40s and I'm struggling. I wear glasses. To, I can't read a newspaper anymore. I can't read the fine print on... Uh, packages of food at home. I need glasses. I never thought I'd ever require them. But it's really given me a, an ins... Well, for want of a better word, an insight into how difficult it must be for people who do have problems with their eyes. You need to protect them and you need to look after them. But, you know, sadly, as we age, for a lot of people, and it looks like myself included, our eyes start to go on us. All right, plenty of people online wanting to have their say. I'll get to you in just a couple of moments. I do need to take a break, though. And I've got some emails that I'll get to as well. But the phone number, 13 12 69. Marcus Paul in the morning for the John Laws Morning Show. You're listening to Marcus Paul in the morning. And we're with you everywhere. In the car, at home, and online. Download the 2SM app, available on iPhone and Android. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call 13 12 69. And you can follow us too on social media, the hashtag Marcus Paul in the morning. I put a video up this morning which you may find interesting. I did. It's a young bloke giving us a, well, an alternate, if you like, for the yearly debate we have around January 26 being Australia Day. I might, if I get time in between callers today, I might try and play that. That audio, it's a, a video that's going viral. Uh, news.com.au picked it up this morning. I put it up on our page. Marcus Paul in the morning. Uh, have a look if you like and, and leave your thoughts there. I'd be interested to hear what you think about it. But I will try and play the audio very soon. By the way, Ron from Caves Beach was the man yesterday talking about eye care. So we'll find out uh, exactly from Ron uh, where he got his eyes fixed and where he got his help and support from so we can pass it on to the last caller. All right, Phil, good morning. How are you? Hello, Marcus. I might have covered this before, but uh, I found the removal of that group of spectators from the SCG 
for alleged racist abuse of an Indian player alarming. Now, a basic human right is to be presumed innocent until proven guilty. Mm. Spectators close to the group told police they heard no racial abuse. In fact, some were adamant it didn't happen. Now, this is another case of the alleged uncorroborated accusation of one individual taking priority over a long-established human right. There doesn't need to be a conflict. If the complaint is verified, act on it. Well, the question of innocent is not then a factor. You know, Phil, I spoke to a couple of people, not on air, they wouldn't come on air, but I spoke to people off air. Uh, I caught up with them via social media and then I spoke to them on the telephone uh, because um, they're employed, they didn't, uh, you know, everybody's a little concerned these days that they might, you know, upset somebody. Yeah. So they, they couldn't come on air, but they said uh, very clearly to me there were no, uh, there, were, there, were, there was no banter, there were no discussions uh, that you, you could define as racial vilification in any way, shape or form. Essentially, there was a little bit of fun with the guy's surname, um, and I can't re- exactly remember the terminology that was used, but it was far from racist. It was actually quite hilarious and humorous. And I don't know why um, they needed to stop the, the cricket game for 10 minutes while people were escorted out. I mean, these blokes weren't charged. They were no. just, they were kicked out. But for what no. for? <laughs> uh, political correctness has taken over our long, long fought for democratic rights. And it's, uh, it, people should be... Uh, up in arms about this because it just happens bit by bit, Marcus. <laughs> well, it is at the moment. All right, great call. Appreciate uh, it. You uh, look after uh, yourself, Phil. Thank uh, you. Bye bye. All right, uh, Helen. Good morning. How are you? Oh, hello, Marcus. You were talking about uh, you know fines for using your phone and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I tend to believe there's something going on because my husband just out of nowhere got a fine in the mail for throwing rubbish out of his car. Right. It's unbelievable. My you husband is in his 60s. He wouldn't even throw a bobby pin out of his car. Mm. We were quite overwhelmed. Anyway, the story is that we wrote a letter and said, we are going to defend this to the nth degree. Mm. We are going to turn up at court. We will carry on anything. You will provide us the car, the picture, everything. And blow me down. They said, oh, sorry, we're not going to continue with this. They wrote back and told us. And it's because we are retired and we could afford to go there and defend it. And they didn't want you there because it wasn't true, obviously. My husband wouldn't throw a peanut out, let alone a whole block of rubbish right beside the car. Well, aren't you supposed to receive a warning first anyway? Um, I think you're supposed to. Look, I know that people who discard cigarettes from their cars receive a warning first and foremost. That usually comes from the fire department, though, and they're not after revenue. But, I mean, they do warn you. That's we prob- didn't get that. Yeah, that's probably more a public service, though, uh, because they're concerned about bushfires rather than raising revenue. Yeah, well, that's interesting, Helen. And good on you for defending yourself. And, uh, you know, look, a lot of people do feel affronted. Of course you'd feel affronted. If you're accused of doing something you absolutely have not done, well, then you want to defend yourself to the hilt. Well, it seemed as though it was a ranger who uh, obviously made up a little story to keep up the, uh, you know, the content of how he finds people, perhaps. Mm. It wasn't an ordinary person in, in the, you know, the, the street. Yeah. It was a ranger, a proper ranger that goes out there and earns the money 
from finding you. Well, so you've got a to us. You've got to wonder, haven't you, Helen? And thank you for the call. You have to wonder whether some of these people have to fill quotas. I'd hate to think that was the case, but somehow I think it's actually pretty real. Breakfast with Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Robert, are you there, mate? Robert, can we have you whack your uh, phone down, please, for your radio down? Uh, Robert, we'll come to you in a moment. Uh, just for those callers uh, who might be waiting online, please, yes, just keep your radios down because we are in delay. Uh, Patrick, good morning. How are you? Good. Good, Marcus. Excellent, um, Patrick. Mate, just in regards to Paul Keating coming out about uh, superannuation, yeah. I, I, I do side with him. I, I think the, the super should go up to 12%. There needs to be another 2.5% uh, put in, but I also see the other side of the argument that that would really there'd be no waging. You know, you'd be foregoing a two and a half percent wage increase to fund that. I mean, because a lot of employers, I know the unions want it, but I know a lot of, particularly small business, wouldn't be able to give you a two and a half percent pay increase and then whack another two and a half percent into your super. Because yep. that'd be a five percent, and a lot of small businesses are only just keeping their doors open now. But and I think Scott Morrison is sort of in a roundabout way, is sort of saying to employees, "Would you? I think you'd be better off taking your 2.5% now and spend it in the economy. There is, there is arguing, a good merit to that argument. Well, I but agree. I do side with Paul Keating that I think it needs to be put away into your super because 9.5% is just isn't enough for people to retire on. Well, yes, uh, but my concern is 12% is not sustainable right at the moment in this current economic environment. Unfortunately, um, look... I uh, I don't run – I mean, I run my own sort of business, obviously, as a contractor here doing what I'm doing, but I don't run a big business. And I'm told by a lot of employment uh, – well, employers, if you like, that it's just not sustainable. 12% is going to kill us, Marcus. I'm already paying X amount of dollars each and every year in bloody payroll tax, for goodness sake, and now they want to – you know, what it'll lead to is basically businesses shedding jobs. That's what my concern is. We want to grow jobs, not lose them. So I think an overall increase to 12% within the next couple of years is just not feasible, given that we've gone through the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, COVID has changed the, the, you know, everything for the time being for the next few years. Uh, and once we sort of get back on top of things, then revisit the area of, of increasing super in, in stages. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Yeah, COVID at the moment has just changed. It's just changed the playing field too much. All right, Patrick, thank you for the call. Appreciate yeah. it. Look after yourself, Robert. Are you there, mate? Hello, Robert. Yes, I'm here. Hello, how are you, mate? Thank you for calling. What can I do for you, mate? I'd like to advise the gentleman that his wife got that uh, summons. Mm-hmm. Go to your local member. Yep. Uh, I've been a JP for 50 years. Yes. And that's my advice to go. I've been to my local member four times on uh, occasions. I worked in the emergency services and a policeman pulled me up for doing 61 k's an hour. Mm-hmm. And when I told him I worked in the emergency service, he knocked it up to 69. So I just took it to my uh, state member. Yep. And I, I got letters back, and I got out of all of them, and two incidents, the police officers were transferred from the area. Right. And, and they said to me, 
if people don't let us know, mm. we don't know. But in finishing their letter, they said, just obey the traffic rules, you know, that's what they were in place for, which I've always thought I did, you know. Yeah, no, but, well done. Uh, See, this is the thing. Look, ultimately, if if you're speeding, you need to really cop the fine. If you're doing the wrong thing, whether it's talking on your phone, throwing rubbish out of the car in your court, or if you're speeding, etc., there's no real excuse. I mean, if you have a valid excuse, if you're in an emergency or perhaps taking an emergency call, I don't know. You can always – the option is always there if you feel you've been justified in – you know, breaking the law, because the law can be a little flexible uh, given circumstances. But look, if it's cut and dry, and if you have broken the law, if you've been caught speeding, you need to learn a lesson. Um, because the, look, a fine quite and a loss of demerit points from a speeding offence is probably the best outcome. Because a worse outcome could be you crashing, killing yourself or somebody else, an innocent victim on the road. Okay, uh, if you want to have your say, give me a call, 13 12 69, the telephone number. I'll come back with more of your calls and these emails that are coming through on MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Marcus Paul in the morning. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, uh, I see that Rachel is from Budgie Budgie in New South Wales. Just listening to people with traffic fines, Marcus, I received one, but it turned out I had bought a second-hand car and three months later I got the fine. And when it was proven I didn't even own the car, They then went after the right person. About a year ago, scammers were sending people photos of a car with the number plate blanked out saying to pay the fine and directed to a site to pay it. I got one and laughed at the the truck they said was mine. But some people did panic and pay it. Yep, you've got to watch out for scammers. Thank you for that, Rachel. Appreciate it. Uh, Now, we've got some other messages coming through, which I'll get to in just a tick. Uh, Mark, are you there, mate? Hello, Mark. All right, Mark couldn't hold on. Uh, what about you, Mike? Are you there? Yeah, mate. How are you going? All right, Mike. What's on your mind? Ah, oh, just a bit about a traffic fine, mate, that I copped here about 12 months ago. Yeah. Um, <coughs> heading out of Young down to Wollongong. Um, I know the road like the back of my hand. Anyway, highway patrol coming the other way. Pulled me up with his speed camera and, and said, mate, you're speeding. And I said, well, have they changed the speed zones? He said, no. Mm. He said, if you look up there, there's a sign saying 50 kilometres an hour, and you were in that behind the line when I clocked you. Anyway, I thought, oh, shit, maybe I've made a mistake. Yeah. Anyway, on the way home, I pulled up at that sign, and it wasn't a 50 kilometre an hour sign. It said 50 kilometre an hour ahead. Did you um, go back? Well, and I was it? too busy to do it, but I lost three points and oh. I got fined two hundred and sixty bucks. That would have hurt paying that. Yeah. Hmm. So he hoodwinked me. Well, do you reckon he did it on purpose, or do you think it was a mistake? Don't know. Don't know for sure. You'd like to think it was a mistake by a police officer, but look, who knows these days? All right, mate. Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry. That would have hurt really paying that fine after you went back and even checked. 
that you were right in the first place. I don't know, I would have uh, probably taken a photo and um, maybe written in all the rest of it, but still, some people just don't have the time. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, a couple of emails. This one from John regarding superannuation and pensions. Marcus, as I've mentioned before, if you are on a low to middle income, you should put the minimum only into super. Currently, the pension is $25,000. One would have to save $2 million in order to generate that income. That's $40,000 a year for 50 years to achieve $2 bucks. Uh, okay, John, my head's a little sore from trying to do the math on that, but I'll take your word for it. Anthony says, Marcus, anyone can dob anyone in to the EPA. That's the Environment Protection Authority for throwing something out of their car. Well, that's true. I mean, we should always dob in dumpers. Uh, look. A lot of people say it's un-Australian. I don't know. I don't agree. I mean, I um, know somebody who was caught dumping rubbish, and they shouldn't have done it. It was building material in a, on a vacant lot. Next thing you know, a week later, they were visited by the EPA along with the police officer and given a substantial fine. Uh, they were dumping old building material, loose bricks, this, that and the other, on... <laughs> a spare block of land, thinking, oh, well, you know, someone's going to come along and build here and no doubt they'll clean it up. No, someone could always be watching. Look, we've got a couple of emailers coming through in relation to Donald Trump. Mike and Graham basically saying the same thing. Marcus, your newsreaders are reporting that Trump has now been impeached twice. The Democrats tried... And failed in November. They will undoubtedly fail again this time. Reporting fake news again. This one from Graham. Your news bulletin this morning and several other presenters over recent days have stated that President Trump is the first American president to be impeached twice. Uh, It's annoying you're getting it wrong, basically, uh, is what we're being told. Well, I don't know. Everybody else is running with exactly the same thing. Um... (laughs) Has the president been impeached twice? Well, look, if you technically he hasn't been impeached at all. Uh, or has he? I don't know. Maybe we need to speak to an expert on it. Trump fans will say, no, of course he's not been impeached at all. Never. Not once. Not even twice. Trump haters will say, ha Yes, he has been impeached twice. Anyway, do we really care? this one from Richard. G'day Marcus. I read an article in the paper. In the United States of America, a driver was sent a fine in the mail. He wrote out a cheque for the amount, took a photo of it and posted the photo off. A couple of days later, he received a response from the police. They enclosed a pair of handcuffs to which the bloke promptly paid the fine. Very good. 
quick music break and back with more of your calls. 13 12 69, Marcus Paul in the morning, in for Lawsy. Marcus Paul in the morning, Nico and Vince. Remember them from a few years ago? That was one of their hits. The other was a song called Am I Wrong? I like the sound of them. They're very good. Uh, before I go to calls, just a shout out to a mate, Jeff, who I understand has uh, been dealing with a, a minor illness of late. Mate, I'm sorry to hear that, but I am very pleased I've received your note and just want to wish you all the best for your recovery and, and thank you as always for your kind note. And yet you're right, Michaela is absolutely slaying it in our newsroom. <laughs> she is. Uh, and yeah, look, a lot of people are saying that Donald Trump hasn't been impeached twice. Maybe Jeff can assist me on this. Jeff, are you there, mate? Hello, Jeff. Wow. Uh, all right, guys. I don't know what happened to Jeff, but he's dropped out. We'll try it again. Try this one. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, mate. Yeah. Oh, yeah there mate. we go. Better. All right, mate. What's better, on better, your mate. mind? Mate, um, I may be wrong, but the way I understand this impeachment thing is, mm. um, when, when, when he was impeached, he was called before um, a Senate committee or whoever he is, uh, Hears the charges to answer charges. I believe that's what impeachment is. It's not whether he's found guilty of anything. I think when you're impeached, you're called called to answer charges. And this, if that's the case, this is his second time he's been, been impeached. Well, he has, and it's there's twice now that there's been a vote. Uh, to impeach the president. You're absolutely right. Now, whether anything's done about it, uh, whether the next stage is undertaken, well, it's really mute now because he'll be leaving inside a week. Uh, and, yeah. you know, uh, whether or not they debate it going forward in the Senate or not, that really doesn't matter. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Technically, the bloke is... So let me just rephrase what I said earlier. Technically, Donald Trump has been impeached twice. Yeah, he hasn't been found guilty of anything yet, but he's, no. he's been called to answer charges twice. Well, that's right. And the most yeah. recent, as we know, was in relation to the storming of the Capitol, where quite clearly he has been found, uh, well, to have done the wrong thing. That's probably the better way of putting it. Yeah. All right, buddy. Appreciate it. And, and look, it is a bit of a, a contentious issue, I understand. And people are very passionate about Donald Trump and the Trump supporters will jump up and down as much as they like about it. But at the end of the day, uh, we're 15,000 kilometres away and the facts are that Donald Trump has been impeached twice. There was a uh, account this morning, a week out from Joe Biden's inauguration, where 231 votes were supportive of the impeachment of the President of the United States. 197 said Nay, 231 said yay. So basically, he's been impeached now for the second time. There's no getting around that. What does it mean? Well, not much really. Uh, There were suggestions, and I knew this wasn't going to happen. There were suggestions, and thank goodness, to be honest, that it didn't happen. Uh, You know, the kicking out, of, if you like, or the enactment of the 25th Amendment, where the vice president can boots the president out of the the big chair in the Oval Office. That didn't happen, thank goodness, and and it was never going to happen. Pence wouldn't have done that because there'd be major concerns that we'd have more rioting on our hands. I mean, just 
seeing the literally hundreds of army personnel lying down and resting inside the Capitol building during the impeachment hearing was enough to send shivers down your spine. I mean, isn't it sad? In a so-called democratic society, we're having hundreds of uh, defence personnel having to guard major administrative buildings. It really is. All right, Ken is on the open line. Hello, mate. Are you there, Ken? Hello? Yeah, yeah, I'm here, yeah. All right, well, take your time. What do you want to say, Ken? Oh, just the, uh, these mobile phone cameras. There's one just south of Coffs Harbour there before Christmas. And, yeah. I mean, you don't know where they are. But I, I got pinged, but I wasn't using a mobile phone. It was a fridge monitor. It was over 40 degrees that day and probably 50 degrees in the back of my ute where the fridge was, and it was playing up a bit. But I've got one of these King's fridge monitors which tells you what the temperature is in your fridge and whether it's working. Yeah. It's got no it's got no uh, buttons or anything on it. You can't order it. It's not like a mobile phone. Mm. And uh, I had it, just happened to have it in my hand. I wasn't even looking at it, just holding it in my hand because I suppose I had been looking at it previous. And it must have went past this camera, which was one that was on one of those... Uh, little trailer thing sitting on the side of the road. That's right. Yeah, and I got caught. I, I, I tried review, I tried doing everything, and they keep saying, no, 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 it's just you've got to pay the fine. Mm. See, this is that the... I've lost five demerit points. Well, that's the problem. Uh, five demerit points, and the how much was the fine? $349. Yeah. Oh, boy. See, this is the problem with these cameras. And as you say, if you were holding another device, you know what they'll say? Oh, well, you were distracted by that device. You're not supposed yeah. to be distracted at all. And this is the issue. I mean, how many times uh, would a police officer have pulled anybody over for, I don't know, eating a hamburger while they're driving or taking a sip of a drink while you're stuck in traffic when it's 30-odd degrees? I mean, technically, police could do that if they wanted to. But they use their discretion. The problem is, with this system of camera-operated infringements, well, there's no discretion because a camera, well, it can't decide or decipher or make a a judgment on whether or not you're holding a particular device. I mean, it's ridiculous. Imagine how many people have actually maybe been pinged, perhaps holding drink bottles or something, in the same circumstance. That's right. Or you could be holding your handkerchief, blowing your nose, you know. Mm. I mean, all right, this this is a little square device. Probably, when you first look at it, it might look like a mobile phone, but it's not. And oh, we've tried everything. I've done, Well, I've just sent the second review away with photos of it. And the photos that the camera took, it actually took three photos of my car. And just before the one that shows me holding the device, yeah. it shows me looking straight down the road. So I wasn't even looking at the device. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, good luck. You can try and fight it. The problem is, of course, it'll probably cost you ultimately a lot of money. A fair bit of yeah. heartache and and lots of right. lots of frustration. Oh, yeah, I won't take it to court, but I'm just no. yeah, I'm just waiting for this next review to come back. Mm. All right, mate. Good luck. Right, thank Thanks, you. Bye, bye, Mark. Uh, I think he's back. Mark, you there, mate? Yeah, uh, Marcus. I just wanted to make a comment on the speeding fine. So I got um, booked for ten k's over the limit last May, yeah. which was two hundred and sixty dollars and three demerit points. So fair enough. I done the wrong thing and I copped it. Mm. But then when I went to renew my registration in December, 
the insurance company from the green slip because I was classed as not a safe driver, my green slip went up by two hundred and fifteen dollars. Oh, so that's for the next three years. So basically, it's a nine hundred dollar fine. Oh boy, oh boy! Well, that's right. That's right. So you don't just get pinged for the fine; you you get pinged for the next three years. Yeah, and if you if you go and maybe take out another different uh, insurance uh, policy with a different organisation, you you can't really lie and say no. I've, I've no, you to, have to you no. have to prove that you have because you have to give your license number. You have to prove that you have no demerits. Well, that's right. Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. I haven't thought of it that way. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot bigger fine than what people think. <laughs> well, that's it. And in particular, if you've, uh, you know, you're adamant you've done the right thing and you've been pinged for something that you shouldn't have, uh, I mean, it's a hell of a price to pay, isn't it? Thank you, mate. Glenn the Truckee uh, is on the open line. Hello, Glenn. <laughs> uh, sorry, mate, you're probably busy and you've been there for a little while. Uh, we'll try our luck with Pam. You there, Pam? Hello, Pam. All right, no Pam. No worries. Uh, if you, I've got to go to the news anyway in a tick. If you would like to have your say, the telephone number, 13 12 69. Uh, Mark from Maclay Island is one of my regulars. Mark says, I feel like a little chuckle. Marcus, here's a joke. My girlfriend refused to leave my house, so I strapped her to the roof of her Honda. In the end, she left on her own accord. (laughs) Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Honda Accord? Yes, maybe. All right, this one from Philip um, regarding the impeachment... Marcus, if the Donald is found guilty in the U.S. Senate, he will lose two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, well, that's yeah, absolutely right. When I said before, there's not much that can happen. Well, you know, he can in fact lose his year-long, uh, lifelong pension of a roughly two hundred grand a year, and that'll be indexed, of course. Good on him, uh, and he will also not be eligible again to stand for a presidency. Yes, I get that, but I don't think he would. Or would he? No, his ego would probably make him want to do it. And then the other thing, he will miss out on secret service protection for the rest of his life if he is finally impeached at the full length of the process. So there we go. It does make a big deal, I guess. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. All right, welcome back to the final hour of the John Laws Morning Program. Lawsy back after Australia Day. And I thought I'd start the hour with a whinger. Len, Len Eldridge. Ah, Len, you've made my morning. I was waiting for him. I really was. Uh, Len, you seem to be under the uh, illusion that I spend all my day and the whole entire program talking about your beloved, outgoing, impeached President Donald Trump. But anyway, Len starts his critique of the broadcast like this. Unfortunately, I thought John Laws may have returned, but then your voice came on with that annoying lead-up music. 2SM expecting people to listen to your lefty rubbish six hours per day is just too much. 
I turned it straight off after I heard your rubbish about Trump once again. In fact, as soon as I hear your voice that sounds like you are constipated, (laughs) I turn the radio on to an intelligent program. You couldn't help yourself with your Trump hatred saying quite stupidly, here we go. Well, hang on, you're already lying. I know you're listening to every single word that's coming out of my mouth, Len, right now, but I know you're lying already. You basically say, as soon as you hear my constipated voice, that you turn the radio off onto another program, but then you go on to say that I couldn't help myself with comments that I made. Well, what, which one is it, Len? Are you half pregnant or something, are you, mate? Or just plainly stupid? I think it's the latter. You're plainly stupid. He goes on to rant about how 80 million normal citizens of the US voted for him, blah, blah, blah. The election was rigged by the Biden camp. Whinge, whinge, whinge. Any moron could see that, says Len. Len's an expert. No doubt you are a Democrat supporter and Pelosi would be your pin-up girl. No, Len. Not at all. These people are the ones who have ruined the USA or were you asleep last year during all the riots, etc. Except for Dean Mackin, who really stands out. 2SM has reached the bottom of the barrel when it comes to its presenters. Even the ABC is a step above. The world is in for a bitter shock when your mate Sleepy Joe Biden and that other half-wit get in. Then we will have the last laugh. I wonder if you will be as hateful with them as you are with Donald Trump and his family. Uh, It's well known that nearly all the media is 100% left. And that is why most intelligent people don't listen or read to the hatred spewing from their mouths or papers. I doubt it. Again, what, what is it, Len? You doubt it or you don't doubt it? Anyway, Len Eldridge, um, good morning, mate. And I'm sorry you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed and I'm sorry you've had to listen for the last six hours. Because I know you have. Because that's exactly what you people do. Can't help yourself, but... Put pen to paper and that's fine. You like Dean, Dean will be back on the weekend. You can talk about Trump and how wonderful he is to your heart's content with Dean. Um, But you won't be doing it on this program because I run it the way I run it. All right, uh, Marie's on the open line. Hello, Marie. Good morning, Marcus and all the listeners out there. Tell me where I've got it wrong. We've got our Prime Minister... um, I think he'd be blamed if the cat had kittens, quite frankly. But nevertheless, he's trying to give everyone a tax cut of $2,000. Can you tell me what will you achieve getting that tax cut for $2,000 to help the people if the others on the other side now are screaming, we want more money, we want a pay increase? What do you achieve if you get a pay increase? And the minute you've got it, we've already heard private businesses are putting up kindergarten fees, school fees, medical benefits, the private ones. They've gone up. Rates and taxes and council fees, everything's gone up. You've lost it before you get it, Marcus. Well, that's true. That's true. Uh, look, I don't know. Um, tax cuts, yes. Uh, can we afford it? Probably not. Uh, can we everything, afford not Marcus, to? Marcus, Probably not. Marcus, do you think everything's about power and money? When are we going to just get on and be grateful to be in this country and stand up for what we've got? America have got their problems, and the drums mm-hmm. that are banging here, let's not forget that they're not banging here. They're not happy with the flag. They're not happy with Australia Day. What will make people uh, happy? I don't know. Uh, when you say they're not happy with Australia Day, 
Who's not happy with Australia Day? I haven't really heard too much about it this year, thank goodness. Uh, no oh, doubt. Well, unless we hear, I mean, mm. it, it's for, there are many Aboriginals that fought in Australia Day. Those that are banging the drums, we're blaming our Aboriginals for a lot of things. But have a look at the ones that are banging the drums and making these calls all the time about colonial invasion. It's going against Indigenous people that don't do any of that. They're happy to have a job and get on with life the same as the rest of us. Pinpoint the people that are calling these tunes and expect everyone to follow them. Let's get on with the running of this country and be grateful we're here, Marcus. What do you think? Well, I agree. Uh, And there are certain things that are far more important to deal with, and I think we've been discussing them in the last couple of days, and that is uh, whether or not uh, we should be doing better in relation to looking after the elderly in this country. I think that's a far bigger issue. A really, really big issue uh, we should be discussing. But anyway, just on Australia Day... This young fella has come up with an idea and uh, I put it up on our social pages, 2smsupernetwork.com and just click on Marcus Paul in the morning. What do you think about this bloke's idea for a new Australia Day? It might start a conversation, I'm not sure. Where are you, young fella? You going to talk? Here we go. No, hang on. Now we might work. Don't even make it a date. Think about it. As soon as you try and make it a new date, people are just going to be arguing over which is more culturally significant. And, and I just don't think that's particularly inclusive. How about instead just make it like the last Friday of every January? This means two things. Firstly, it's always going to be a long weekend so people can still get shit-faced, if that's your thing. And, and two, it gives Australians an opportunity to celebrate it however they like. You don't have to fixate on a static identity. You can make Australia Day whatever you like at that point. I don't know. That's that's just my idea. Well, what do you make of it? Uh, I mean, that young fella has a really good point. Um, do you think that we should just pick another day? Maybe make it the last weekend in January so we have a long weekend and, and just leave it at that? Oh, I don't know. Most people... Most people just think the whole thing should be left alone. We celebrate Australia Day on the 26th day of January. We have citizenship ceremonies because so many people want to come and live in this wonderful country of ours. Maybe we should well leave well enough alone. If you want to have your say, 13 12 69, the telephone number. Oh, OK. Look, the last time New South Wales had zero cases was back on January 6, and we've got another donut day. A diamond donut day. No local cases. Zero new cases for New South Wales today of COVID-19. And that is wonderful news. All right. Mark is on the open line. Hello, Mark. How are you, mate? How are you? Good, um, Good buddy. Good. Marcus. That uh, bloke just wrote that letter in. Was that Craig Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> or uh, George Christensen? One of the two. Um, uh, you've got to be kidding. Mm. I bet he's fat. All fat people seem to go for Trump. They're, they're, he's a peanut, that bloke. Seven, twelve of his own party left him today. Well, I've got a story on they Craig Kelly. against him, but there was, there was a lot more than that have resigned over the past week or so. Mm. Yeah. How could you stick up for that goose? Who, for Trump? <laughs> Trump, yeah. Well, there were ten of them that didn't stick up for him and decided yeah, know, they wanted him impeached. Ten of, them, ten of them went the other side on the vote this morning. Yes, they did. He's pathetic, and he still, if he was on the on his uh, soapbox, he'd still be calling out rigged election. And that brain surgeon that sent you that letter in just then <laughs> said, uh, 
how can you support someone with a rigged election? He's done nothing but self-engraced himself the whole time he's been in. Everything about it, about him being in Parliament in uh, whatever they call it over there yeah. was for him. Nothing else. To well, engrave yes. out himself. That's what I was looking for. Well, it is. It's all been about Donald Trump uh, and, from yeah, and as the I get-go. Said to Gary Stewart the other night, mm. what has he done? Tell me one thing that he hasn't done to, that doesn't benefit himself. Well, uh, I look, I, yeah. even to be, really, to be honest, Mark, I, I haven't really followed it to yeah, the now, letter. The other thing is, mm. who made GM and Ford profitable again? You know who set the wheels in motion for that? Obama. Yeah. Because they were both going broke. If it wasn't for Obama, mm. they would have chiseled out like Holden did. Yeah. And, and, and this, uh, you had to call, what I rang about yesterday, you had to call him and say, oh, we should stop calling him ScoMo. Mm-hmm. I think you should too, because Albanese calls him promo, because all he does is, is big announcements and nothing ever seems to happen. Well, he's a marketing man. Could you imagine man. now, if it was Labor borrowing all this, these billions of dollars he's been borrowing, mm. could you imagine how they'd be carrying on down the other station if it was the other way around? Well, I it heard it for terrible. a number of years. I know, I heard it for uh, a number of it, years. They'd just be going on and on and on and on about it. Well... And yes. the last thing I'll comment about, you know, you're talking to the guy about the, the sports show on again. Yes. Starting, starting the guys come back for the sports show. They have. They came back last Monday. Yeah. Yeah. All I did, the, the other guy's just about to start. I can't remember his name. Oh, uh, Robbo. all I do down the road is say something that's not even funny and then go, <laughs> for half an hour. Yes. It's pathetic. Yes. Well, it's it was started <laughs> by the... Uh, Buffett cheerleader in chief, Mr. Hadley, and they've all followed yeah, suit. And these jokes aren't even funny there. <laughs> well, I just, uh, the guy they've got on in the morning at the moment, I think he's on air at the moment, Mark <laughs> Levy, doesn't. I'm waiting for Mark to, in one of his rants, in one of his pro LNP rants, to basically, after he's, you know, he's praised. Uh, the Premier for the 50th time that morning, I'm waiting to say, and there she goes, she's down the sideline, she puts the pass inside, <laughs> and Dominic Perrottet can do nothing in wrong, George. he's wonderful the way he's looked after eye care, he's flicked the ball back on the inside, and to finish it off, Matt Keane under the post. This is Mark <laughs> Levy. Yeah. I think George Christensen, Craig Kelly, and that lot, they should all take a good look at themselves, lose 100 kilos or so, we can get back to reality. All right, mate. Thank you. All right, we got 15 minutes to clear out the White House before Biden moves in. Take anything that's not nailed down. Mm, this copper will fetch a pretty penny at the Chinese market. Mr. President, um, the used car dealer, uh, you have a car for sale? Right. The presidential limo? She's a sweet ride. $1,500? Make it 1200 That's called the art of the deal. Biden's on his way. All right, everybody up! <laughs> I've left a surprise for little old Joe. Some smart, very smart, stable genius booby traps. It's been an honor serving you, sir. I'm the best thing that ever happened to you, baby. Crap! I still need to leave my presidential goodbye letter. I wrote it in stinking. Hey! I paid for four! I gotta get out of here! Ah! 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 Ah!
I hope you like purple nurples, Biden. Ow! 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 It's me, you idiot! Well, at least that was the last one. Hello? Anyone home? Help! I'm trapped in a bucket! I've been there. Help! Marcus Paul Minotti. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. Uh, some emails coming through. I'll grab them in a moment. MP in the morning at 2smsupernetwork.com. Judith, hello. Hello, Judith. Uh, I need you to have that radio down. Please, uh, we, we're in delay and I don't want to talk to you with an eight-minute uh, pause in between our conversation. You there, Judith? Yes, I'm here. Good morning. Good morning, darling. I'm enjoying your program as usual. I like hearing what other people have to say. Not always agreeing with everything, but most of, of it makes common sense. Thank you. I would like to talk about Australia Day. Yep. It's always been Australia Day. There's nothing wrong with Australia Day. I'm an old lady, 78. Yep. Even as little children, we had our little flag. We used we celebrated Australia Day and my ancestors long before me. Now, you know, I look at it this way. Whenever there's trouble, like rioting and things, there's always a leader, right? Yep. And we have a main activist. He's one of ours. He's an Indigenous person. He causes all the stirring up and all the troublemaking. He's an author. Right. His name is Stephen Hagen. Well, is he the man that uh, campaigned against Coon Cheese and got the, the name yes, changed to Cheese? Yes, and he's cheer? also intending to sue yeah. the cheese company <laughs> for calling it Coon all those years. And it's got nothing to do with him or anyone else that was named after the man, Mr. Coon, well, who yes. discovered the cheese. And we've been eating that cheese long before I was born. You know, I solved the whole issue yesterday. You know what You know what I did, Judith? You know what? Tell my, me. I went out and I bought a block of cheese. I bought... Go for it, mate. Buy the whole company if you can. I know. I bought bigger cheese. Well, I don't care. I'm going to buy what <laughs> right. cheese I want to eat. You know why, Mark? Because I'm a cheese lover. And I've been buying cheese for years, my grandmother before me, yeah. and our family, and I don't care, I love cheese, whether it's vegan cheese, maroni cheese, <laughs> cockaroni cheese, I'm going to buy cheese. And no one's going to tell me which cheese I can buy or what name, even if it's called Chia, yeah. I will still buy it because this person who is not all there campaigning against the name... Listen, there's an animal named Coon. Yeah, well, uh, isn't it a raccoon? Yeah, raccoon and coon and whatever. Yeah. We we do not... <laughs> we're not racist. No. I was, I was raised up in Surrey Hills yeah. amongst all different nations and cultures. Yeah. I went to school with multiculturalism. We never, ever heard the word racist. It's this person who is psychologically unbalanced, <laughs> who keeps stirring the pot and filling it with garbage. All right. Uh, look, I'll end on this note, Judith. 
I think it's fair to say, sweetheart, that you're a little cheesed off. I Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2sm.com.au. that show Marcus in the morning on 2SM well he's yeah. using you two to sound cooler because they must have grabbed us talking about that show I've got the audio for you <laughs> okay uh, who's got that you got yeah, that yeah, let's yeah, play yeah. it Adam here we go Marcus in the morning who is Marcus in the morning who's this bloke don't have to be Let's have a listen to Marcus in the morning. Okay, so he's uh, manipulating my audio. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please send them an invoice immediately in turn? Call my private office, uh, ask to speak to the legal department, and then get them to invoice for $50,000 for unauthorised <laughs> use of my voice. voice on 2SM. I think you're undervaluing yourself there. No, well, it's just a quick, it's just a little sting, and he just used a tiny bit. Plus GST? Of course, plus GST. No and then let a tongue and Sam, no, I might need him to do some collection work for me by the end of the week. <laughs> so what does 2SM stand for then? Marcus Paul in the morning. Email Marcus and follow the show on social media by going to 2SM.com.au. The patient says, Doctor, I think I'm a moth. Mm. The doctor says, well, you really need to see a psychiatrist. Right. The patient said, I know, but I was passing your surgery and your light was on. <laughs> Uh, hello, Mrs. B. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Marcus. How are you? Well, thank you. Thank you for holding on. What can I do for you? I was a care nurse at three nursing homes in uh, Brisbane. Oh, okay. And I um, first job I got to, I left as an export agent and decided to do something a little bit more caring. Yes. So I went into a nursing home. Oh, well, aren't you and wonderful? I, I was looking after clients there mm-hmm. and beautiful aged people. And then I found that some of the carers there weren't so caring. And I reported them and they weren't removed. So I went up to the office and I said to them, I'm a very fortunate person. I know people in the newspapers, I said, through my job in export. I said, and if you do not sack them with the things that they are doing, I will bring the newspapers in. And then I became a sharpshooter right. for looking after my, my clients. And they loved me only naturally because... I used to be have chocolates in my pocket yeah. when I came on shift, and I used to love them. Mm. I looked at them as though they were my own parents, and I treated them with respect, and they as they deserve. Well, that's and my, wonderful. My, my attitude was: mm. if you can't do the job and treat them with respect, get out. Absolutely, and, and well said. 
Well said, Mrs. B. I, I, I really think that's a wonderful story and, and well done on, a, obviously, a, a very rewarding and important career in aged care. And I'm glad you stuck by your guns as a, as a bit of a whistleblower. Well done. That's wonderful. And hopefully, um, as you alluded to, we have a, a system where people uh, will get the same respect as you did I mean, sadly, uh, you tell me you had to go to the media uh, or threaten at least to go to the media to have some uh, undesirables in the industry turfed out. Let's hope that's not the case these days and people are able to comfortably ensure that they can report abuse, violence and mistreatment of people in aged care without having ramifications to deal with themselves. Andrew says on the email, MP in the morning at 2SM Super Network. Marcus, I love hearing some of your older listeners ring in and talk about how life was before politically correct behaviour took over everything. That was when Australia was the no worries country. Now we are the worry and complain about everything country. And this observation from Matt is quite funny as well. Matt, thank you. His subject title is laughable. G'day, Marcus. This American election is a Twilight Zone version of Yes Minister. You have the outgoing who refused to leave and the incoming who doesn't know that he is there and calling his deputy the elected. God help the world. We were worried about Trump accessing nuclear codes when not needed, and yet Biden couldn't remember where he put them if they were needed. Ah, uh, yes. Look, I'm laughing, but it is quite serious, isn't it? Uh, this one from Tony, Tony Bennett. Marcus, do you think we could have a day without David's stupid jokes? How about some entertainment from the broadcaster for a change, Tony? Oh, Tony, am I not entertaining enough? Well, ain't that good? That's... Right, that a kick in the head for me. Oh, well, okay. Marcus Paul in the morning. Call thirteen twelve sixty nine. Genuine talk on the radio. This is Marcus Paul in the morning. Three hundred thousand dollars plus a month just to do a so-called cultural review on a scandal-plagued agency. I mean, that's like adding salt to a wound. I mean, people have lost their jobs for far less. Ministers have stood down for far less, but it's almost as as if there's nothing to see here. This government doesn't think that the rules apply to themselves anymore, and I think that they think that they can get away with anything uh, and they won't be held to account. The difference is, is that this time sick and injured workers and employers are angry about what's gone wrong because ultimately that list of misdemeanours has been paid for by small businesses and big businesses with the money that was meant to help sick and injured workers get back to their health and get back to their jobs. We're bringing you all the news and the views. Marcus Paul in the morning. All right, 13, 12, 69 for the last 10 minutes or so of the program. Get dialing. Let me know what's on your mind. Uh, emails, MP in the morning at 2SM, supernetwork.com. And uh, <laughs> uh, D. Davey says, Marcus, don't worry about Tony. I look forward to and enjoy David's jokes. They are bad, but 90% of the time they're funny. Well, they're not meant to be good jokes. David is my 
daily daggy dad joke teller, and he's on the breakfast program each morning at around a quarter to nine, and he gives us a bit of levity. I, I quite enjoy it. Um, yes, you're right. 90% of the time, they're kind of funny. But let's be honest, mostly dad jokes are pretty terrible, aren't they? That's why they're called dad jokes. Oh, boy. This is a story that will no doubt upset Len, who sent me that uh, essay uh, that I read out at the start of this hour on the program. Anyway, um, all you right-wing conservatives who think I'm a a nutjob lefty, you might want to close your ears for a second. This is a story that will ruffle feathers. Some listeners, we spoke about it yesterday and we got criticised heavily for comments that were made, but it involves Liberal backbencher Craig Kelly, who made inaccurate and unfounded comments about what he thinks are possible coronavirus cures and, frankly, dangerously spruiking unproven alleged remedies Yeah, well, that's what he's doing. It's dangerous. So dangerous, in fact, that the nation's top doctor, as well as the federal health minister, and now the acting prime minister, are trying to force Mr Kelly to pull his head in. He claimed forcing children to wear masks was a form of child abuse. He also said the failure to provide the drug ivermectin to patients resulted in 100,000 deaths in Mexico... And he criticised our government for not providing patients with hydroxychloroquine. I didn't want to say it. I'll preface this by saying I'm not a doctor. Of course I'm not. But what I can do is present to you the official advice of experts. I'll start with the chief medical officer, Professor Paul Kelly. There are people that call this radio station that think they are above our chief medical officer, and obviously I think Craig Kelly also believes he's above the chief medical officer. But anyway, Paul Kelly said, medical studies have not found ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine useful in preventing or treating coronavirus. There's no evidence those drugs are useful. Evidence might say otherwise in the future, but until that evidence is available, a liberal backbencher with no medical experience should be spruiking their use. Professor Kelly said... He had used ivermectin on patients to treat river blindness in Africa and knew it was effective for that. But as I said, there's no evidence that it's useful for the virus. He also cautioned the backbencher to make sure the comments he makes are appropriate. In other words, make sure they're safe. Professor Kelly went on to say there have been many, many studies on hydroxychloroquine for both the treatment and prevention of coronavirus, and at this point there's no evidence it is useful for either. Now to the Federal Health Minister, Greg Hunts, who directed reporters to the official health advice. Read between the lines, the official health advice does not advocate hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin and advises the public to wear masks. And finally, the acting Prime Minister, Michael McCormick, even though he's had a bit of a a shocker this week, he at least has got this right. He strongly disagreed with Mr Kelly's statement that forcing children to wear masks is child abuse. And let's finish by saying we put a call into and we also messaged Craig Kelly asking for an interview. But we, surprise, surprise, received no response at all. You'd think if you make such outlandish statements, you'd have the 
you know what, the cojones to maybe back it up. I know he can't see them, but I wonder whether he's got any. Obviously not. I'd say he's crawled back into his hole, and let's hope he stays there. Or if he wants to go to medical school, then he may have a bit of credibility. Perhaps only then he can start giving us medical advice. In the meantime, like I said yesterday, Mr Kelly just needs to zip it. From Sydney to the Sunshine Coast. You're listening to Marcus Paul. Call Marcus now, 13 12 69. Hello, fellow foodies. I'm David Attenborough, sharing with you this delicious meal, a celebration of Earth's bounty from a wonderful restaurant near the... You take the picture before you eat the food, David. Social media! I'm David Attenborough, sitting in my own garden. By pure chance, a miracle of nature is happening right in front of me. A butterfly about to emerge from chrysalis. And thanks to Instagram, I can share it with the... Why is this thing buzzing and flashing? Did you remember to charge your phone? No, I didn't remember to... I'm David Attenborough. (laughs) Lately, I've had a few social media fails... And I'm afraid I've used some rather uncouth language for which I apologise. From now on, I promise to laugh at these little failures like a grown man should. Oh, no one can see you unless you flip the camera. (laughs) Silly me. I've cocked it up again. Ah, There. Look, you can finally see me as I smash this stupid piece of... David Attenborough's Black and White Planet. And so the dark night continues with no sign of activity on the security camera in my back garden. Wait, it looks like possibly a cat or fox. No, it's nothing. Will something f***ing happen? My elusive cell phone has found its way off the dinner table and is lost somewhere on the floor. Still, if we take care, there is still time to recover the phone without damage. Oh, f***ing shit! (laughs) Yeah, David Attenborough uh, to finish the program today, trying his hand at social media. Marcus Paul in the morning. Well, uh, look, thank you for all your phone calls, your emails, your SMSs, your texts. We'll be back tomorrow from uh, 9 o'clock around Australia. John Laws will be back, of course, after the Australia Day public holiday. (laughs) 